Hey there, Gramps. Hey, how you doing? <clears throat> All right, how you doing? All right. Hey, let me close my door here so the cat doesn't uh, make a bunch of noise while I'm uh, doing shit. Okay. I'm going to turn off my fan. Busy, where are you? Get out. Come on, get out. <laughs> Come on. There you go. <laughs> get out. Mark Browner is a crazy cat lady. All right. Okay. I got her out. She was underneath the table. She was quiet, but you took care of your took care of your cat, huh? Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. All right. Well, you know, I, I ran you that do, cat you out. Do what you gotta do. Yeah. You do what right. you gotta do when you're when you're uh, when you don't have kids and your cats are your children. I understand. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. At this uh, point, I got a missing cat. Really? But, yeah. One of them uh, ran out the door this past Sunday and hasn't been seen since. Hmm. A young one or an older cat? It's an older cat. Her name's Teeny, but uh, you wouldn't know she was old from seeing the way she behaves. You open up the front door, ah. she darts out like lightning and uh, usually comes back within an hour, but uh, didn't happen on Sunday. She is gone, gone, gone. We went to Williamson County Animal Shelter. To see if she had been, you know, picked up or trapped and brought there, but no luck. So huh. I put up some flyers around some of the neighbors, but no luck. No luck at all. Hmm. Well, I only did a few houses, you know, the ones like nearest our house. So I printed right. up printed up a bunch more flyers just to pass around the neighborhood behind ours and all the rest of the people in our neighborhood. So, you know, short of that, or just deciding to show up i i don't know what to think i guess she's she's gone forever she's on the street man she's oh. got a cat pimp I know. she's letting other guys pet her oh no yeah <laughs> she's, she's letting guys feed her meow mix out of their hand oh no say it ain't so yeah say it ain't yeah, so it's, yeah it's true man yeah by the way her name is teeny as in Martini. It was Sierra's cat before she moved in with me, and now it's our cat. Of course, now it's the cat of the world, because it ain't in well, our house Well, you no never more. know. Yeah. It, it might come back. You never know. Maybe, but, you know, if she ain't back by now, something happened. I, well, I didn't want to say anything, man, but... Well, you know, those, maybe are, so. those are the choices. You know, a neighbor's dog attacked her, and she's been eaten. Or oh God! She's adopted by somebody else, or you know, I don't know. That's yeah. or, or got yeah. picked up by the you know the ASPCA. But like I said, we already checked the animal shelter and no dice. So there you go. Hmm. Yeah. Some autistic kid has got her and is just petting the shit out of her right now. <laughs> <laughs> nice kitty. <laughs> petting the fur right off her hide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty kitty. You know. That's terrible. Actually. Terrible if, person. If that were the case, I'd be okay with that, you know. It's just, yeah. just the other options that bother me. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah, I didn't mention that autistic kid is up in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> that new dead kid. Oh, that's terrible. That's so terrible. <laughs> oh, I'm a bad well, person. I'm going to hell. Yeah, oh, okay. what am I going to do? No, you know. Uh, Shit, that crazy cat, though, you know. Yeah, I mean, you never know. She might come right back 
you know, maybe I, she I may just be out on a lark and come back in a couple of weeks or so. Just never know. That's a long freaking lark. Damn. Well, I, you know, I don't think I've, I don't I've even done. think Kerouac was on the road longer than two weeks at a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> you may be right about that. Uh, you know. He always came back to mama. He did. He always came home and and typed up all his uh, secret uh, traveling. That's right. I I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I read on the road once. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) And he had um, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches passed underneath the door while he was typing away. (laughs) You okay in Uh, there, Jack? Leave me alone, mom. I'm writing. I was typing, goddammit. Leave me alone. <laughs> wow. We, we both do horrible, horrible Jack Kerouac impressions. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> like he's a hillbilly. Jack Kerouac, the beat poet of the voice of his generation, was not a hillbilly from fucking no. the deep south. He wasn't. I'm in here, Carl Sarnet, typing up my manuscript. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Um, yeah, I remember seeing uh, there was like a interview with Jack Kerouac. He was on um, who was that um, um, right wing talk show guy back in the seventies, sixties, and seventies? Um, Morton uh, Downey Jr. No, 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 no. I'm talking about you know he was he was he was an intellectual Republican dude. Oh, on, on PBS, um, uh, William F. Buckley. William F. Buckley. Yes, Jack Kerouac was on a show with William F. Buckley, and some other um, or some hippie poet guy or philosopher. And Kerouac was drunk off his ass, and probably barely <laughs> said barely said you know three or four sentences the entire time. It wow! Was, it was. It, it's on YouTube. You ought to seek it out. It's Kerouac on William F. Buckley's show, whatever it's called. I don't know if it was called Firing Line at the time, but uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. worth looking at. <laughs> well, good for Kerouac being smart enough to just get shit face drunk if he's going to do a show like that. Oh yeah, he totally, he totally William wrecked F. it. Buckley. Yeah, but it's still, a, it's still a, interesting. I mean, Kerouac kind of slightly sobers up toward the end and. And says a few interesting things, but for the most part, he's just kind of surly and mumbling. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, but this is probably like the late 60s or something. So he was, you know, he was he was way down that road towards self-destruction at that point. All right. He's almost done at that point, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Huh, interesting. Mm-hmm. How did we slide down a slippery slope from a missing cat to Jack Kerouac? How did we get there? <laughs> on the road. <laughs> on the road, oh yeah, on the road, I guess. I don't know. That's what they're Man. Teeny and the ghost of Jack Kerouac are on that uh, right? <laughs> road in the sky. Well, I hope yeah. Teeny hasn't kicked it yet. I hope she comes back. I hope, hope she is being... Heavily petted by a an autistic child. That'd be great. Or just any child. <laughs> well, you were the one who brought the that child. up. I know it's. I know. I know. I know. It's. It's all on me. I'm a right. bad. I'm a bad person, and I'm going to hell. Um, well, <laughs> if there was one, perhaps, but I, I doubt it. Yes. 
You're more. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're more good than you are bad. Yeah, I'm a bad person, and I'm gonna die alone. How about that? That's Aww, probably makes, no. makes more sense. That's not true. Yeah. You got friends. I, I, you got friends. Yeah. I'm your friend. Yeah. You wanna be my friend? Aww. Can I be your friend? <laughs> oh, friend, friend. <laughs> Are we really friends? Uh, <laughs> this is going to be on uh, a slippery slope, the lost episodes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, oh, well. Hey. I don't know. It's all good. Sometimes I don't know how we get where we are sometimes. Yeah, I know. I like I like uh, living up to the title of our show. It's uh, <laughs> Yeah, I do too. Yeah. It's like sometimes it's when fun. I'm with my nephew, mm-hmm. we will just start talking like uh, old southern uh, suburban <laughs> wives, you know. Oh, let me tell you, Charlotte, <laughs> she was drunk at that party and everyone knew it. And oh, my goodness, I thought she was going to throw up right on my carpet. And, and oh, my I, God. It just comes out of nowhere. All of a sudden, we're just talking like that to each other. Wow. Y'all would be the two perfect people to do greater tuna oh that would be fun wow (laughs) Uh, and get me my poison i'm gonna fix me a bitter pill (laughs) Uh, yeah that's funny i I mentioned that is there's a uh an old theater friend of mine um whose name is frank not my brother frank though frank benj who was recently in a production of uh, uh, A Greater Tuna, or it might have been Tuna Christmas, I'm not sure. But uh, he just recently was in the hospital and uh, had some surgery, and he apparently he's doing well. So I just want to give out give a shout-out to Frank Benj out there. Was he doing uh, a tuna play here in Austin? or? Uh, yes, in the Austin area. I don't know exactly which theater, but... Uh, yeah, I heard it was a, a great success. Well, fantastic. That's interesting. I was listening to that uh, uh, radio show that I hate, the Dudley and Bob and Mark and Tim and Jason and Joan and uh, <laughs> Christina how, how in many the morning. People, how many people are on that show? Oh, too many. So <laughs> many that two of them sound alike and you can't ever tell which one is which. Oh, um, no. Um, but they had um, um, Jason, it's Jason Williams, I believe, isn't it? It's the name of one of the guys who originated yeah. Greater Tuna. Right, Joe Sears, uh, the, he, Joe Sears and Jason Williams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Joe's the bigger one. Uh, Jason is a little uh, uh, kind of skinny and bean Polish. Right. Um, uh, so he was on, and, and I can't remember, and maybe it was, a, I don't know when it was. It was within the last couple months, I feel like. And they were talking about a production of Greater Tuna going on somewhere where other people were doing it and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, talking about how uh, he, you know, what it's like to to see other people do your work and stuff, but, right. but, but also saying really nice things about whatever production it was. I, of course I got in on the middle of it. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure, but it's interesting. It might've been, if it was the one your friend is in probably because they don't, they don't let just any theater company do a production of, uh, the tuna plays if I'm not mistaken. R- right. Yeah. I'm sure they, yeah. So maybe it was, that was, that would be cool. Mm-hmm. I'm only thing I, I'm, I love, I'm yeah I'm sad that I missed the uh, 
I don't know if you'd call it a revival or not, but uh, yeah, I'm sorry I missed Frank's production of that. I heard it was uh, yeah, me, very well it received. Cool. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I I have. I've only seen the first one as uh, it was a TV movie they did for some cable outlet, either HBO or Showtime, uh-huh. in the 80s, I believe. Yeah, I remember um, that. And it, yep. was, it was uh, produced and I think directed, at least produced by Norman Lear. Um, and so so the original play, I've only seen that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've seen the Tuna Christmas, and then I can't remember what the other Tuna – there's another Tuna play – for, I think it's a Fourth of July play. Um, oh, okay. I've seen mm-hmm. I've seen here in Austin. Well, no, I take that back. The Christmas one I believe I saw in Galveston, and the and the Fourth of July one I saw in Austin, or vice versa. I can't remember now. Oh, well, that's cool. Um, yeah, yeah. I've never seen any of the tuna plays with the original cast, but I did oh, see wow. I did see a production of. A funny thing happened on the way to the forum at the Paramount Theater, which had Joe Sears and Jason Williams in the production. Oh, I think you've told me that before. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, at least I've got to see both of them on stage. Yeah, I I have seen. Well, the two the two versions of Tuna that I've seen on, on stage, they were the original guys were in it. Um, and then I saw Jason Williams in a uh, Eugene Ionesco play. I think it was called The Lighthouse um, at the State oh. Theater a few years ago. Hmm. And that was really different and interesting. Didn't he also and, do uh, a, a production of The Foreigner? Also, uh, uh, Jason uh, Williams? It's possible. I don't know. Okay. I'm also thinking he did a one-man show that was kind of like his autobiography. Autobiography hmm. that that was either at the Paramount or Zach Scott, and I think I saw that too, but I can't remember now. Wow! So wow, you've seen you've seen a lot of that actor. Uh, yeah, I guess I have. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I got to see the Ionesco thing at the State when my friend Kelly was working at the Paramount, and he may have gotten me into that for free. Um, and maybe the one of the tunas that I saw there too. He he probably got me in free for that oh, one as that's well. That's right. You used to have the hookup at the Paramount, man. I did, man. You were, it was but, the best. Yeah, your buddy buddy with a was he a bartender or was he a what? He, yeah, he was a bartender concessions guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, just goes to show you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, that's. And then cool. I had a friend that worked at the box office named Jet. Uh, that that hooked me up a couple times hmm. uh, to a couple things, which was cool as well. So jet and ooh, yeah. ooh jet. <laughs> <laughs> just just reminded me of that Paul McCartney song. So there you go. <laughs> well, he had he had two T's on his name, so it was really jet. Oh man! Slip, uh, slip, 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 slip down that yeah. slope. Yeah. Yep. Right. Cool. Slip side in the way. <laughs> All right, right, man. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It's your turn to do the intro. Did you prepare? Did you prepare anything for the meeting, Mark? <laughs> Indeed, I did. I even, okay, good. I even brought cupcakes. Oh yeah. Oh, honey, <laughs> I had. 
I can't eat cupcakes. I have a I have a case of the papers. <laughs> Come on, just one. I'll push it through the microphone. <laughs> okay, I'll have just one now, just to be polite, because I know that's the right thing to do. <laughs> You're such a genteel Southern woman. <laughs> Miss Gentabelle. Remember Miss Gentabelle? I do. Wow, that short film that we showed on Lube TV years yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. Dude, I wonder if that's online somewhere. I feel like I looked for it a few years ago, and I think it was on YouTube, but I could be wrong. Been wrong before. Yeah, you know, they did, a, rem- will- they did a remake of that. It's a new movie out uh-huh. called The Assignment. Just kidding. Did they really? <laughs> no. What's the assignment? You haven't heard about that? The movie is very controversial. It's about a spy that wakes up and finds that while he's been out, his gender has been reassigned by a mad doctor. <laughs> and that sounds awful. <laughs> no, here's the kicker the main Wait, character. Is it starring. <laughs> Sigourney uh-huh. Weaver. Sigourney Weaver plays the, uh. the the main character of the man who is, has had his his gender reassigned, and that's all I know about it. Of course, I hear it's hmm. controversial because a lot of um, transgender groups are up in arms about it. So I remember reading that's something bit, about probably it. Probably be. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably because they didn't um, employ a trans uh, actor, actress to do the role, I would assume, is one of the reasons they're mad. Hmm. They get mad about that. Right. I, I talk about them like, like uh, I'm not part of that community. <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, whenever you're a part of a community like, you know, the LGBTQIA plus community, mm-hmm. it encompasses a lot of people with a lot of opinions. And I don't always agree with all of their opinions. I don't think that just because a character is a transgendered character that it has to be played by a transgendered person. It would be nice if it was, and it probably would be better if it was. But the whole point of being an actor is to take on other personas and other other characters and try and become something different from yourself. To suggest that an actor or actress isn't capable of playing a transgendered character successfully and with the the emotions and and whatever else required that's like saying uh, an actor couldn't play a doctor or a lawyer you know if they weren't one that's horseshit okay soapbox no i it's been put up now no i <laughs> no i get what you're saying completely i mean uh, it is acting and uh, these are fictional stories if they weren't they'd be documentaries and they're not not documentaries so I get your point completely. Yeah, I mean, you were an actor, and and you know, it's it's just like when the uh, you know the gay people would get mad because a, a gay actor wasn't employed to play, play a gay person, mm-hmm. and for a long time there were no or uh, very few uh, openly gay actors, so um, it was always a straight person playing a gay, or at least someone who identified to the public as straight that was p- playing a gay character because there were no gay actors out that could be hired to play those characters Mm. so Mm -hmm. you know and i and i understand that yes it's great if we're going to have a gay character and we can employ a gay actor to play that character that's fantastic yes but may not may not be the right person for the role and to suggest a heterosexual person can't play a gay
gay character is is also suggests that a hetero uh, a gay character couldn't play a hetero a gay actor couldn't play a heterosexual character, and and that's we know that's not true as well. Right. Well, you know, Charles Nelson Riley played gay characters all the time. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> well, there's a, I mean, there's a huge history of of gay actors who were not out who played all kinds of characters, you know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's humorous, uh, or, or in 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 hindsight, it can be humorous. Um, uh, you know, Rock Hudson and um, uh, Tony Randall, and mm-hmm. you know, there were. Uh, I'm I'm trying to think. Uh, Franklin Pangborn. There's a there's just a ton of. Uh, oh, who's the guy that was that's in uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Not Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Oh, Monty Woolley. Mm. Now, what's that? What's that? movie where he's like a gossip columnist kind of guy and he breaks his leg going into some people's house and they he ends up staying there oh and i I don't know that hmm betty davis plays his secretary and he of course he comes in and just ruins their lives and is just a complete asshole oh what's the name of that's gonna drive me crazy it's a great freaking the name of the movie 40s hmm yeah Yeah. I, i have no idea uh, I'll have to interesting. Google, Google Monty Woolley, but right, and you know, don't forget Paul Lind, and uh, uh, yeah, uh, who's the other guy? The guy who played uh, King Tut on Batman. Oh yeah, he's also in Vic- Feud as right. a character. Victor Buono. Yeah, yeah. Which I did not know he was gay until I saw Feud. Uh, I same here. I was unaware. Right. Although I certainly, um, you know, was suspicious about it. But. <laughs> well, uh, with the benefit of hindsight, the you know the 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 King Tut character on Batman was somewhat suggestive. Right. But uh, well, eh, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, I haven't, I you know, I haven't seen any of those recently enough to to jog my memory on how that character acted. Um, I'll always remember Victor Bueno as. And this is one of those things where, um, you know, you know me, I have guilty pleasures and I have cheesy things that I love. There was a TV show in the 80s called Man from Atlantis starring Patrick Duffy. Yeah, I remember remember that show. Sure. Fucking love that show. Really? Victor Bueno played his like the man from Atlantis's nemesis. He rode around in a a submarine and he was always (laughs) trying to do something evil. Wow. uh, I completely forgot about that. Oh, I love that show so much. I, I've looked and it's on DVD and I should just go buy the DVD. But I have about I had about six or seven episodes taped on VHS tape. Then I transferred a couple of them to DVDs. Hmm. Um, there's a there's a fantastic one where Patrick, you know, and, and Patrick Dempsey would like dive underwater and then he'd go through some kind of tunnel and he'd come up in some other weird world and in a that was completely unknown to oh, humans. Right. Okay. <laughs> and there's one where he goes, and I may be getting this wrong, but I I think what it he goes and he comes up in this other world and the people who are in the world are dressed like mimes and they communicate <laughs> by like click they communicate what? by like clicking. Yeah, I communicate by clicking castanets. It's, Holy it's shit! Fantastically bad. Are it's they deliciously bad? Are they in white face and you know like are they Marcel Marceau looking people? They're not. I, I can't remember, man. I don't think they're wearing like Holy striped shit. shirts and a, and a beret. <laughs> oh, but I feel good. like maybe they're maybe they're wearing like um 
full body suits that have uh, a, a head, like have okay. a head thing where just their face comes out of the circle, which is a, really isn't a mime, but because right. they don't speak, it's like planet of the mimes that communicate with castanets or hmm. and they may communicate by snapping or clicking their tongues or doing something else That's i don't so remember weird. i just remember it was like weird yeah i used to uh smoke a lot of marijuana and watch the man from atlantis <laughs> well you know now that you mention that that sounds like that was be the inspiration for cirque du soleil i, I might <laughs> Oh, just a it guess. It may have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I always love uh, Kathy Griffin's in, in, uh, doesn't like Cirque du Soleil. I'm I'm just about the one of the only gay men in the world that doesn't like Cirque du Soleil. Oh. Kathy Griffin is like, why do I want to see a French ma- a French guy pushing a ball up an imaginary hill going, oi, oi, oi. Oh, that's uh, that's funny. That's yeah. not a circus. That's not a fucking circus. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, if the, if there's no elephants shitting on stage, it's not a circus. It's not a circus. That's <laughs> absolutely right. Yeah. Mm, yeah. You know, Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. Now that we've got a a thirty minute pre show, why don't we start this puppy? Yeah. <laughs> You know when you say when you say Cirque du Soleil, I always do. You remember the Band du Soleil commercial? I do. Band du Soleil for, for the Saint Tropez town. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How can I forget so I it? Think, it was one of the most Cirque du Soleil oh. <laughs> for the Saint Tropez town. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, I, I I remember those commercials because they were the most bizarre commercials on television in the 70s yeah yeah very strange and that 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 jingle was kind of like it wasn't like your typical jingle it was kind of exactly yeah it was artsy and weird yeah and sultry and bronzed and sweaty yeah (laughs) and you pull down the little bit of the bikini and you could see where the white was Mm -hmm. under the bikini yeah, <laughs> right. Ni- yes, and then a little side nipple. <laughs> <laughs> come back, come back to the five and jo- dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. Uh, okay, I will tell you one more story, then we can start the the show. Because jingles made me think of this. When I was a little boy, there was a, a TV and radio commercial that was, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was, I don't even know what it was for, a bank or uh, or, or uh, helping someone restore their credit or something. Mm-hmm. But the jingle was, little man, you're crying. I know why you're blue. Someone took your credit card away. And I would cry when that song came. What? I mean, I was like three and four, like a little oh, boy. Okay. I would just sob it, it was so sad <laughs> uh, so at a, at a very very young age your parents go yep he's gay <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> ding 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 congratulations <laughs> yeah you got the gay one <laughs> we uh, have a winner and, and in the day mark it was i was the sensitive boy yeah uh, that's how we were identified. Okay. Oh, he's very sensitive. <laughs> okay. Oh. <Aww. laughs> okay. Oh. <laughs> okay, man. All right. You want to start this thing? Yeah, Fi- let's start finally? it. Finally. Yeah, we're yeah, we're definitely past the 30-minute mark. 
but I, I know what the hell good pre-show though man good pre-show right. yeah yeah <laughs> lots of slippery slopes yes all right let me pull up my stool here <sighs> so in three two one Keeping podcasts weird from the live music capital of the world, Austin, Texas, the city that brought you Daniel Johnston, Headhunters, Herman the German, The White Horse, Clifford Antone, and the world's largest urban population of Mexican free-tailed bats, it's a slippery slope. With the dazed and confused slackers, Mark Browner and Lodger. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that even better. Okay. You, 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 anytime you can throw two link letter um, references, messages, or two yeah. references into uh, a sentence, that's just a good thing, man. I was thinking next time I, I'll do the intro, I'll be like, with those Newton boys, Mark Brenner and Lunger. <laughs> yes. Ah, oh, it sure oh, would be well, cool you if know. you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> yep. Uh, Oh, I man. watched Dazed and Confused on uh, it was on like MTV or something where they cut it all up and there were uh, commercials and stuff. But I, I yeah. was just waiting to I, I think I was just waiting to go do something. I just kind of had it on. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I was doing some stuff on the computer or something else and just kind of had it on in the background. And I was like, oh, my God, I want to watch this all the way through again on yeah. DVD with without it being cut up. It's such a great movie. It is. Yeah. And it too hard to watch movies yeah that are cut up like that with commercials and probably edited for content as well right just yeah i hate when i do it because i um because the other thing is i've got the dvd it's like if you're really going to sit here and watch this and why don't you go get the dvd put it in the player Mm -hmm. watch it watch it the way it was meant to be watched yeah um you know it's Uh, funny mm -hmm. there there are so many movies that i like that um if if they're on i will just Just watch them. I'll just, you know, if, if there's nothing else I want to watch and I'm just kind of looking for something while I'm, you know, it's really it's bra- background. But while mm-hmm. I'm doing something else or whatever, and, I, you know, if I come across my cousin Vinny, um, uh, it, it just stays on that then. I'll, I'll, and even though they cut that up and there's a couple of places where yeah. it's obvious that they've cut out dirty words. It, I, I don't have the, the, the DVD of that one, but mm-hmm. um Anyway. Yeah, that is one of those movies, though. Yeah, that you're flipping through channels and you're like, oh, and then you, you know, I'll just watch a few minutes of it, and you know, after after Before you the, know what, yeah, yeah, the credits are rolling all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's funny. It's like I know there's always this controversy about whether Marissa Tomei really won the Academy Award or somebody read the wrong name somehow, but. <laughs> She's so great in that movie. She's oh, she really is. fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, she, in my opinion, she deserved to win that award. I think people yeah. really just loved her in that role. Oh, She's absolutely. so good that, you know. Yeah, you fall in love. I think it's funny, too. Yeah, you fall in Go love ahead. with that character. You fall in love with that yeah, character. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, 
I think it's interesting that she she d- could do that role and and she does everything in it. She's funny. She's serious. Mm-hmm. She's romantic. I mean, if you can yeah. convince me that you're in love with um, Joe Pesci, Joe Pesci <laughs> you're a really good actress. So. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But that's, I mean, that's why she won the Academy Awards. Like, I, wow. Probably, yeah. You could actually you actually felt like there was real chemistry between mm-hmm. them. <laughs> Oh yeah, she was amazing. And he, and he's great in it too. I mean, I'm no big Pesci fan. A lot of people really like him, especially like Goodfellas and some other stuff he's been in. He's great in JFK too, but yes. um, you know, that role is the role of a lifetime for a guy and he he made the most of it for sure. Mhm. I would agree. How do we get to talk about Marissa Tomei? Hmm. Okay. I, I don't even know now. <laughs> we were talking about movies that you just watch when they're kind of oh, on, but how right, we started right. on that, I don't know where that came from either. You know, it's mainly me just saying shit that comes out of my mind. No, that's cool. <laughs> but speaking of movies like that, I do that with Sling Blade every time I'm flipping through channels, unfortunately. I get sucked in. But uh, See, I never see Sling Blade on anything. It must be on cable channels. Yeah. Like uh, movie channels. Yeah, it probably is. Probably flipping through Showtime or maybe IFC sometimes. Um, I, I, I can't yeah. remember, but yeah, it's all kind yeah, of Yeah, I haven't seen that for a long time. I think that's another one where when I see that, I want to see it from the beginning and I want to and I want to see it, you know, all the way through uncut when I when it comes on. So mm-hmm. but I don't see that one come up a lot. Another one that comes up a lot that I love that I will watch whenever it's on is uh, the movie Julie and Julia, which is about Julia Child and then the w- woman who wrote the blog about cooking right. all the dishes in Julia Child's. Yeah, I saw that. I mean, mm-hmm. Meryl, Meryl Streep as Julia Child is just fantastic. It's it's so great. Yes. I, I don't know why. But I just love that movie. I mean, Amy Adams is adorable too. But mm-hmm. I, I can just you, you put that movie on, and I'm going to sit and watch it. I, I just love that movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, that's cool. Um, there was something I wanted to mention, that, and you happened to bring it up. That's crazy that you did. And I'm, I'm kind of jumping the gun here on Riverdale, only because you, you mentioned Julia Child, and I was watching Riverdale and Molly Ringwald, and I'm going, oh my God, Molly Ringwald is turning into Julia Child. <laughs> well, I didn't think that when I watched it, but now that you say that, I'm, <laughs> I kind of see what you're saying. She could do Julia Child. Oh, yeah. She's, Amazingly. She's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I love Molly Ringwald. Anyone from our generation does. Oh, yeah. And, um, Definitely. It's so funny because when she came, you know, she was on the latest ish- issue, the latest episode of Riverdale mm-hmm. and um, and had, you know, several scenes. And I was thinking about the uh, comment that uh, Sierra said last week or two weeks ago about <laughs> when, when did she have a stroke? <laughs> and I couldn't look at her without thinking about that. And, and it's like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not quite that bad, but no, no, not you know, at all. I mean, it's just it's tough to see uh, when you get older. The, one of the hardest parts is seeing people that you think of as young in your mind. Right. And then you see them older and you're like, oh, man, we all got old, didn't we? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And I mean, she's still I really she still looks pretty fucking good. I think she's oh, pretty amazing looking. Absolutely. But, you know, because she's got to be she's 
close to my age. She's maybe a little younger, but she's got to be 50. Maybe, you know, she might even be a little older than me. I can't remember. Yeah, I, I've, I have no idea how old she is, but yeah, she's definitely 50-ish. And, I'll never uh, forget the first time I saw a Breakfast Club at the theater when it came out, and I thought this mm-hmm. this movie is going to change everything. <laughs> this is the movie that is going to make teenagers get along. Aww. I think it helped a little. I do think it yeah. helped a little, but um, maybe, I, yeah. His, I think it tapped into uh, some some sort of zeitgeist out there that uh, yeah, oh, people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I am. So um, cool. Yeah, I just loved it, and. Um, Still love it. I think, you know, when people ask me what's my favorite movie, I always say The Breakfast Club. It's not what I think the best movie ever made is, but Mm -hmm. it's my favorite. If I had to – my dream is if I ever get uh, stranded on a desert island or if, like, I'm in a a full body cast and sitting at the hospital and have nothing else to do, (laughs) I'm just going to watch Breakfast Club over and over because I want to learn every line of dialogue from that movie. So so that you'd be able to (laughs) quote from beginning to end? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the dream. That's the dream, man. (laughs) Uh, Too funny. So how did you, okay, since you liked that movie, did you also like St. Elmo's Fire? I saw it when it came came out, and I didn't think it was that great. Um, Mm -hmm. I... You know, I, I, I I've only actually seen it once when it came out. I've 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 seen bits and pieces of it since then, ah. but I don't think I've ever watched the full thing again. And I just remember it seemed a little, you know, it's a little hackneyed. It's a little, um, it's not written extremely well. <laughs> yeah, it didn't quite stand the test of time. I think if you watched it again, you're like, yeah. oh brother. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes. so, I mean, the thing I like most about it was seeing all those actors that I like. True. A- again. Yeah. You know, together. Um, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I was much more of a weird science fan. I thought weird science was freaking amazing and great. Mm, it's a okay. fun, funny movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I mean, um, you know, Anthony Michael Hall at that time uh, held a great place in my heart and Evening, <laughs> evening head. <laughs> <laughs> Your evening head. That's great. Yeah. For some, d- do you remember the movie that put uh, a nail in the coffin of the uh, Brat Pack once and for all? Um, it, was it Wild Horses? I was thinking it was less than zero. What do you oh, think? Oh, you know, people pe- people hate that movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, that's another one I've only seen once. And I remember, of course, it has some gayness in it. Mm-hmm. And so I like, you know, that was appealing or interesting to me um, when I saw it. Um, I think, yeah, I think if I saw it now, I, that's one I'd really like to see again. In fact, I think I looked for it on Amazon not too long ago within the last year. And mm-hmm. the DVD is out of print. And so if you want a copy of the DVD, it's like $150. Wow, really? Um, oh, my yeah, gosh. Wow. I think so. I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was to get the DVD. The only way to get it was to buy it from someone who was selling it because it was out of print. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there was some talk about six months or to a year ago about remaking it as well. Really? Whether that really happens mm-hmm. or not. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I think this, the story has legs. I think it could be retold again. Yeah. I, I, I remember when I watched it, I kind of liked it. I thought it was dark and, and oh, yeah. compelling and... Absolutely. You know, um, I, I mean, who's in it besides Robert Downey Jr.? 
Andrew McCarthy? Yes, Andrew McCarthy is in it. Uh, Jamie Gertz. Uh, oh, I love her. Oh, my God, I love her. She's so great. Yeah, who's the uh, the blonde guy that was kind of a sort of a brat packer? Uh, uh, James in, Spader? Yeah, James Spader. Right. Yeah, he was uh, in that. Yeah. Remember, he was yeah. uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s pimp, in quotes. Oh, well, vaguely, yeah. Drug dealer and pimp. Yeah, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so. I really would love to see that movie again because I don't think I, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think I, I definitely don't remember, but bits and pieces of it, and so mm-hmm. I don't really even know what the whole story is. I just remember there's a scene where, where Robert Downey Jr. is like in the bedroom with some other guy servicing him, and right, and you don't really see anything, but it was the closest thing to gay sex on in a movie that y- you could see when you were 20 years old. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that scene definitely, because it was it was. That's it's the only ki- one I remember. Yeah, yeah, because it's kind of shocking, you know, for its time. Right, I yeah. should say. Right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. You don't. Yeah. And, uh, so. And that's, there, yeah, that's interesting. I'd really like to see that again. Yeah, and you know, there's also a really hot sex scene between Jamie Gertz and uh, Andrew McCarthy. Yeah. In there. Oh, really? Yeah, it's that's like, funny because I I love Jamie Jamie Gertz, but I don't want to think about her sexually. Well, <laughs> I, I think of her as a nice person, a good girl. Right, but she was, you know, obviously she was a lot younger in that movie uh, than, than now. But oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying generally she always played kind of nice characters, like. She was in Square Pegs, wasn't she? Yeah, she's great in Square she, Pegs. Yeah, oh, my God. She was very straight-laced in that. So, yeah, that's why. I yeah. think that's probably why that scene was also a little bit shocking. Because she's like... Probably, yeah. It's like Andrew McCarthy is, is standing up, and she's wrapped around him with her feet up on the window. And they're having sex standing up, so it's kind of hot and shocking so like, also. right? Compare Compared to compared to her body of work, it's like totally different head. Totally. <laughs> oh, that's a good one, man. That's good. Thanks. Thanks. Wow. Um, Definitely a Jamie Gertz reference. Was, yep. Indeed. Mm. Um, Jamie Gertz was in. She's in Twister, I believe, with Bill Paxton. Oh. Yeah. I think that. Yeah. She put, okay. I'm almost positive. Does she and, play uh, the other woman or? She's not Bill Paxton's love interest. She's Bill... she's his ex, and she's That's a it. she's okay. a right. she's a, a storm chaser too, I think, okay. or something. Hmm. And they end up getting kind of thrown together, and there's sparks fly like they do. And hmm. I liked Twister. I, again, so yeah. when it came out, I haven't seen it for a long time. It might not hold up, but when it came out, I thought it was a really interesting. The special effects are pretty damn good th- through most of it. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. I liked it a lot. And and in uh, a way, it was almost kind of informative about what storm chasers do, though obviously, yeah, highly dramatized. But uh, yeah, it was interesting on it many was, levels. It's really, yeah, it's really was the first movie. I I don't think I even knew there was such a thing as a storm chaser until uh, mm-hmm. I saw that movie. Um, right. So yeah, yeah. And then true. Jamie Gertz was. In a uh, TV show a couple of years ago called Neighbors, that was a, like she played a a mom, a suburban mom married with two kids, and uh, mm-hmm. some aliens move in next door. Um, oh. And it, that rings it a was, bell. It's like, yeah, 
It's like a totally throwaway idea. You know, it was just a goofy show, but it was so funny. Um, she was the, all the people who were in it. I can't even remember the name of the actor uh, hmm. uh, who play who played the um, the alien guy. He's funny as hell. Okay. And I mean, the whole thing was just funny. Hmm. And it was like, okay, this you know, it's one of those things where no, this show's not going to last. You're not going to be able to get people to watch it. But <laughs> I watched it all the time, and hmm. it was hilarious. I really enjoyed it. Ah, uh, there was like a there was a alien who was a kid played by this really odd kid mm-hmm. that was the alien son of the other family, and he called Jamie Gertz's character by her full name all the time and uh-huh. i can't even remember it was but anyway it was a funny show okay i you know i vaguely remember maybe catching an episode or two of it but yeah it obviously didn't last very long so right i think that it had two seasons and i think on the second season they put it on friday nights which is of course you know the the dead zone yeah that's the death knell of a tv show Speaking mm-hmm. of shows on Friday night, I've been meaning to talk about this for a couple weeks. Okay. Um, and I won't spend a whole lot of time on it. All Have right. you seen there's a show on now that's called The Toy Box? Have you seen anything about this? It's it's like Shark Tank, but with kids and toys. I have not seen it. So it's hosted by uh, Eric Stone Street, who's the chubby gay character. He plays the ch- the gay character in um, Modern Family, the bigger guy, Cam. I think is Cam is his name. Right. On yeah. the show. Yes, I know you who know, you're talking you know the about. Actor I'm talking about. Yes. So he's like the host. So they will have they will have people come in who are toy ma- toy inventors. Mm-hmm. They will come in and he'll do kind of a little interview with them, and then he'll send them into this room where there are three adults that work in the toy industry. Mm-hmm. And if two if at least two of the three like your toy, they will send you on to the next round, which is four kids as judges. Okay. And and then if you win, so there's usually three three people that end up going into that room in an episode with their toy, mm-hmm. and then the kids pick the one of the three that they like the most. And at the end of the series, they're going to have all the people who won each episode compete. And whoever wins overall is going to get their toy made by Mattel. Interesting. Huh? So, yeah, but it's a horrible show. It's awful. Eric Stone street is, is not interesting, not funny, not a good interviewer. Oh no. The, The three, the th- it's like the most unfun show about toys you've ever seen in your life. Well, that's that's horrible. I mean, the concept it's awful. is it's, actually kind of cool. I mean, you it's know. an interesting concept. I was so excited for it to come on. I couldn't wait to watch it. Mm-hmm. But the three adults that judge the toys are are in the business, so it's all about the business with them. They're not charismatic or interesting or Aww. insightful, really, in any in any way. And then there's four kids, and it's like a little girl who's from England, and she's adorable. Mm-hmm. And there's a little African-American girl who's cute. There's a, a white male who's – I can't remember what his name is. He's, he's kind of cute and smart. And then there's this redheaded chubby kid who is the most annoying fucker you've ever met. <laughs> in, just the worst, most annoying. And I guess – you know, I is, guess people think he's cute or something, but it, I just want to throttle him. He's so fucking annoying. Is it the uh, the the chubby redheaded kid from Sandlot? Um, no, uh, but it might as well be. 
I mean, he's just so, I mean, I'm just like, oh my God. And it's like, you know, they're kids. So they play with the toys a little bit and then they, they kind of, Think, talk about how they feel about it but this mm-hmm. kid just he's one you know i'm sure i know why he got on the show he's annoying he's loud he's opinionated he's annoying and he's uh you know i he, oh. he has personality it's just right. a horrible personality but at least he has personality <laughs> right you know and the other kids do too but they're not as loud and annoying as he is i mean they're mm-hmm. not really mm-hmm. loud or annoying at all the little um british girl of course who doesn't love a, a, a british accent she's adorable <laughs> Uh, and mm-hmm. the african-american girl is super cute and sweet and and you know they're all smart okay um but uh anyway i'm just like i couldn't believe it i'm like oh my god this is the most unfun show <laughs> i've ever seen in my friggin life wow and um and it's like some of the and but i mean you know, it's in the way that Shark Tank is interesting because you see people who are inventors mm-hmm. and they're trying to get some interest drummed up in their product or or whatever. Yes, I mean it's definitely interesting in that way because because like, you know, there's been a couple people who have had like there was a lady who had an a doll that was um that you could change the facial expressions on and they she said it was really good for kids with like autism because it helped them oh. uh, change hmm. expressions and mm-hmm. and and uh, and understand things about people's expressions and feelings and stuff and uh, i yeah. was like this is a great idea um but of course she didn't win because it's a it's a real niche kind of a product you know it's not something that all kids are gonna want and love but it's definitely one of those things where yeah so hopefully someone's gonna see that show and call her and be like hey i want to help you make that toy um so you know yeah i'd, I'd like a doll like that I'd, I'd like to you know see how many different faces that you could make you know out of it you know <laughs> this is the taking a dump face <laughs> <laughs> exactly because that's exactly. what you want to do you want to you want to find the most horrifying faces that you could put on it so anyway right yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> if they were that malleable but you know yeah tonight there was like there's been like four or five episodes already i've been meaning mm-hmm. to talk about this for a little while but um tonight but you, there was the first time if it's so Go bad ahead. though why why are you still watching it there's nothing else on Friday night. Okay. I mean, okay. Like I say, Continue. I kind of, I, you know, seeing the toys is is the best part of it. Seeing what people have invented is kind of interesting. Right. Like, tonight was the first time they had a, a kid invent inventor, mm-hmm. uh, this twelve year old boy who him and his he invented he came up with this idea and him and his dad put it together and it's brilliant. Cool. It's um. It's uh, you know how you can there are some like he found it. This kid found a toy that was like a, a toy car that when you put it in water, it changed colors. Hmm. Okay. And so he, he took that concept and him and his dad made these kind of boards that you can put on your uh, over your shirt. They're kind of, you know, and they're made of this material that when you squirt water on it with a squirt gun on them, they change colors. So oh. it's like paintball. But it it's like paintball, but it doesn't ruin your clothes. It doesn't it doesn't oh. hurt like paintball can hurt sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was like just this kind of ingenious idea for a way for kids to pay paintball littler kids with just squirt guns. And I was like, this is a cool this is a really cool idea. This this is something that I think people would buy. Yeah, It'd be I like great that. for kids parties and stuff. Yeah. Sure. And so um uh, and the kids loved it. I mean, it won the the episode too. But hmm, okay, 
Um, so yeah, I think that's why I watch it, but it just kills me that the, 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 the one kid that's always talking, just, you just want to slap his face <laughs> and, the, and well, Eric Stone street, uh, every show has so to have horrible as the host. Oh yeah. Mm. Well, that's too bad. Every show has to have a character you want to slap in the face. Yeah, every 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 show has to have its own Omarosa. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very true. Who, by the way, is now in our government? Go figure. Yeah. Oh my God. Holy oh, fuck balls, man! Holy fuck balls. Yeah. Oh wow. Well, you know, stupid cunts hire stupid cunts. What can you say? <laughs> <laughs> What are you going to do? Yep, that's right. Yep. Hey, sp- uh, speaking of uh, people people that we hope would die. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait did, a- you have a, did you have another topic you wanted to get to? Oh, yeah, because we were talking about toys. Uh, Sierra oh, yeah. is not here this evening. She went to huh. a all-girls toy party. Ah, a different kind of toy. Yeah, you've heard of Tupperware parties. <laughs> well... This is this is this, this is, is a, Tupperware you can put in your pussy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was about to say this is a this is a different kind of spatula. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. You'll be turning pancakes all night, baby. <laughs> you know, when you flip the lid, it burps. <laughs> so anyway oh so anyway it's just a good excuse for you know girls to get together you know one yeah, of them that's one, fun. i think yeah, that'd be fun you know, one of them sells some stuff and then afterwards they all you know drink and listen to music so hey sounds like a good time yeah so. or in your mind they're all sitting over there Playing with themselves in a big circle in the living room, drinking wine, aren't they? Yes, of that's course. Like the guy that's the guy fantasy. Yeah, that's, that's always yeah. what happens at those. I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Of course. <laughs> because uh, because we're all so sexually open and uninhibited. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You were talking about people who died. Uh huh. Okay. Are we are we transitioning into the people who died segment? Should we? Is that where you were going? Yeah. Cue music. (laughs) Oh, it's terrible that we're laughing right before we talk about a bunch of people who died. That's terrible. Well, we're terrible people. I was just laughing at the the transition, but uh, I know, but still, but uh, yeah, how do you get serious after that? I know. Uh, Yeah, it's tough. Well, just for our listeners out we, there, we, we never make fun of people dying. It's just, it's just our way of dealing no, with it. You know, that's all. This is a, it's a celebration of these folks' lives, and and you know, it's, okay. I think that's what we really all want. Nobody exactly. wants their friends and family sitting around being morose when they die. I mean, I guess some some folks might think that's a great thing, but what do you call those people? You call those people sadists? Yes. Though um, so that's that's who they are. <laughs> No, but but you know. I would love it. it mm-hmm. If I die, I want everyone to get together, have a party, tell stories about me, laugh and have a good time, drink drink up and uh, have some good food and you know. Well, that's true. That's what I that's 
that's my dream scenario. So mm-hmm. now I know. I think we did something like that uh, after uh, John's death. You know, we tried to get together yeah. afterwards, and uh, well, I remember. Yeah, right after the funeral, we went to the. We went to Wimbo. Yeah, we went to Wimbo, and we, that was. We went into. I guess we went to Seven A because I think some folks were staying there. Right. I remember sitting at a picnic table at Seven A and talking about John and telling stories, and that was the first time I'd ever been to Seven A. Um, oh, Seven A Ranch in Wimberley. That's right. So wow. I, hmm. I kind of remember it for for because that was the first time I'd been there. Even though John had invited me, and you and John had invited me a couple times, and it was just difficult for me to go out there with the job I had at the time. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah. That's so. when I fell in love with Wimberley and the Seven A, and was like, I'm coming next time we get together. So yeah. So I guess that was a. A, a bittersweet first time going to Wimbo, but uh, yeah, all right. Yeah, but it was it was nice that you know I found a really neat place, and then you know, of course, like everything, as time went on, it fell by the wayside. But we used to go mm-hmm. at least once a year out to Wimberley for several years after that. Right. And well, you know, hang out at New usually New Year's and sometime in the summer we would go out and hang out there. Right. Well, I guess so many people had moved out of the Austin area and so became a little more difficult year after year. And uh, some folks have moved back. I mean, Trish has moved back to the Austin area, so she, yeah. she'd definitely be on board. And I'm sure we could get the 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 other the other two Clowkey sisters to show up, you know, Trish being the, be uh, nice. the honorary Clowkey sister, as you, right. as you recall. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, right. I would really love for us to all get together in Wimberley again sometime. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it's tough because one of the Clowkey sisters is in Chicago and has kids. And uh, the other right. Clowkey sister is in New York and has a job like we all do. And then yes. there's um, uh, some of our friends are in Houston. And, and yeah, the, the thing that happens to most of them is they get married and have kids. And then yeah. you just never see them again. Well, that's true. That's definitely true about Bob. What about Bob? Yeah. Well, what about yeah. Bob? I haven't seen hide nor hair of him in a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know anything about Bob or anybody. So, yeah. so anyway, we should do. We played the music. We should do our people who died segment. Yes, we should. Do you know? Uh, so, who's your big one for this week? Well, I guess it'd be Jonathan Demi. Yeah, that's that's the the one at the top of my list too. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It's just tough when you you know the, he's like Jonathan Demme is one of those great film directors that that people don't talk about a lot that doesn't get recognized for his work and yet he does I mean he's just you know he he like flies it's kind of like I don't even know who else is like that on the top of my head but mm-hmm. he's a great film director he's made a great films and a, a variety of film genres. Um, and and so many of them have been really good movies, um, but he just isn't a household name like you know Soderbergh or or um, I can't think of any other filmmakers off Tarantino or whoever. You yeah, know? no, I, yeah, I'm, I know what you're saying. He's not he's not the first name to trip off your lips when you mention uh, film directors these days. Great, yeah, yeah. When you're talking about yeah, great film directors. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the guy made the guy made Stop Making Sense, which is it is. I, I I don't think anyone would ever come up with a concert film that's a better concert film than Stop Making Sense. Um, 
you know, there are lots of great concert films out there, but that one really is the the top of the right heap, man. Well, that wasn't that his thing for a little while that he was doing musical concert films. Didn't he do like a, a Neil Young? concert film or documentary concert film heart of gold towards i i was thinking he he like isn't wasn't hadn't he done two or three neil young films within the last 10 or 15 years that that may be um, so yeah um i'm i was because i read a little bit uh, about him you know when his obituary and um and i was and you know you always think of like the movie I always think of if someone says Jonathan Demme to me, the music, the movie I always think of is Something Wild, um, which is a great oh. freaking movie. Yeah, I love um, that movie. That is. Yeah. I do, too. And I haven't seen it for a long time. It's another one. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, I need to see this movie again. But then you start looking at his uh, filmography and there's stuff like Silence of the Lambs in Philadelphia and right. just a ton of movies that he made that were really good. Man, I you know, I'm I'm just looking through his filmography here and it's like, wow, a huge variety of things. He did Swimming to Cambodia with uh who's the uh, the right. performance artist uh, guy? Spal- Spalding Gray. Yeah, Spalding Gray and damn. That's one I've never seen. I've always wanted to see. Oh, really? Um, okay, yeah, that's definitely worth it. I gosh, it's been many years since I've seen that, but uh yeah, that was always interesting. Did he do a Bruce Springsteen documentary as well? Or a concert documentary? That's crazy. He may have because Springsteen did one of the songs in Philadelphia. Uh, and it may have been right around that time that he did something with with Springsteen. I don't remember. Right. But yeah, just a just one of those uh, solid filmmakers that kind of gets underrated. That you know, and it's always sad when someone dies and it kind of calls your attention back to their work. You know, right? Um, That's I've true. seen a lot of stuff online uh, on Facebook and online this week about, uh, including some. You know, I follow Alamo Drafthouse on the on Facebook, and uh, there's been some people asking, or is there going to be a film festival or a you know a retrospective or something of his work anytime soon? And I'm like, yeah, it's frustrating when, you know, someone has to die for their work to start getting a little more attention again. But that's just the way that's the way of the world, man. Right. That's just the way it goes. Yeah, it's like it's too bad that, you know, you, you don't fully appreciate something till after it's gone, unfortunately. Yeah, right. Right. I remember, you know, we were young when John Lennon died, which was, I think, 1980. So, you know, yeah. I'm an uh, I'm, I'm a teenager still. Mm-hmm. And um. And and I knew who John Lennon was, you know, I, I knew he was one of the Beatles right. um, and I knew he had done, you know, and I knew I, I'm sure I knew who Yoko was, but I really didn't know that much about him. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until he died that I heard a lot of his solo music, you know, re- read the story of how him and Yoko met and, and yeah. heard interviews with them where they talked about the first time they met. And 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 I, I was always like, damn, I can't. It sucks that he had to die for me to learn about him mm-hmm. um, because I just had a real cursory knowledge at that time. Um, and you know, but that's, that's the way the world goes. It's, it's something has to happen sometimes to draw our attention to something, um, before we, our, our attention gets drawn there before we look that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would be kind of the same way. I was a big Beatles fan. I mean, not at the time when they were big, but you know, after the fact, starting with, you know, their early stuff, which I liked a lot in the beginning. And then when I discovered their later stuff, you know, from like, 68 to 1970 I was you know really liking that stuff and but then 
you know, never even paid any attention. Well, maybe a little bit of uh, Paul McCartney's solo stuff, um, but n- didn't pay a whole lot of attention to anything that uh, John Lennon did, you know, after his time with the Beatles, which is too bad because right. he did some of his best work then, you know. Uh, you know, right. W- well, and of course, he had a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a lull while he was raising Sean and was kind of a house husband for a few years. Well, that's true. Mm-hmm. You know, where where he wasn't in the spotlight for putting out music because I, I, it wasn't that long. But I think he probably did his last album before Double Fantasy was at least three or four years before that, mm-hmm. maybe 74, 75, maybe 76. And so he'd been kind of out of the spotlight for a little while and he was just coming back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I still remember when uh when he died i was taking i was uh, taking a friend and i had went and gone out and i don't even know what we did we may have went to a movie or something and i was driving that friend home mm-hmm. and uh he got out of the i was in his in his driveway he got out of the car i started to back out of the driveway and they came on the radio and and told that Lennon had died and wow. had been shot hmm. and um and uh then they played just like starting over which was just starting to get some radio airplay mm-hmm. of course it exploded after that it became a huge hit yeah but um now is that yeah. is that off of the double double fantasy, lo- double fantasy. that's it. it yeah yeah, okay. that was the right. that was the song that when Double Fantasy came out and they were just starting to hype it, mm-hmm. uh, just like starting over was like the first single that came out after that. Mm. And then, of course, there were a ton of songs off Double Fantasy that got airplay after he died. Right. Beautiful Boy and Watching the Wheels and mm. um and then Yoko put out an album. I love Yoko and I know some people don't care for her, but god i love her i think she's fantastic and um well, i think she she's, put out an album yeah she's an amazing woman I, I don't I, she's an amazing woman but musically speaking i don't think she's that great but uh, that's just my <laughs> yeah. opinion um, i mean i you know i loved her stuff on double fantasy and then after he died she put out an album called season of glass that i loved hmm. um okay just because it was it was kind of artsy and daring. I mean, there was a song that started with three gunshots. Ooh. The cover of the album was uh, John's bloody glasses um, that he was wearing when he was shot. I mean, it was a it was a. But then there was um, there were sweet songs on there too, and and um, and there were just a couple of songs that they were working on um, when he died um, that that she put on there. And so hmm. it was it was, but it was kind of like her her album from In Mourning or whatever. Okay. And it was really interesting. All right. Um, well, maybe, maybe I've anyway, been too we, harsh we, on Yoko, and I probably should well, m- maybe give her a second <laughs> listen. Maybe. I mean, yeah. I mean, she's. I mean, yeah. She's musically sometimes it's difficult listening. I mean, she certainly is. Is and, and you know she's not a fantastic singer by any means, but she's. Oh. I always think she's at least she's always interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. And she was a great performance artist in her own right in back in the day. Right, absolutely. I love, you know, I don't know if you've heard this story, but mm-hmm. um, they they met when John was still in the Beatles, of course. Right. And she was an artist, and she was having a show, mm-hmm. and they let John come the night before the show opened um, okay. to see the to see the exhibits, so he could come in when it wasn't full of people, of course, you know, because he's a huge star at that point. Yes. And so. He, he always tells he told the story there were two pieces that she had done mm-hmm. and one was you climbed a ladder 
And at the top of the ladder, there was a magnifying glass. And if you held up the magnifying glass, you could see a little piece of paper on the ceiling that just had the word yes. Mm-hmm. And he, John really liked that because it was positive. It didn't, you know, mm. so many things were mm. negative then. Yeah. Um, but it said, yes, a positive message. And he really liked that. Mm. And then he, there was a thing she had where it was a block of wood painted white and you could hammer in a nail. And I think it was said something like hammer in a nail for peace or something. <laughs> and so great. Um, he, he asked her if he could hammer in a nail and she didn't want him to because, uh, she didn't want it to be spoiled before the exhibit started. Oh, and, um, he wanted to hammer in the nail and she said, well, I'll, I'll give you an imaginary nail or something like that. And you can hammer that in. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to then I'm then, or, or he said, can I hammer in an imaginary nail? And she said, you'll need an imaginary hammer or something like that. And he was like, that's when I fell. Oh, <laughs> Okay, that's yeah. a beautiful story. So, hmm. yeah, I think yeah, and I, and I always you know people who don't like Yoko, I always think, and but they love John. Mm-hmm. I'm like you know John John loved Yoko. I mean, if you yeah. don't love Yoko and you love John, you, you, boy, are you you know that's weird reasoning. John loved her enormously. If if he loved her and you love him, by extension, you must love her. Yeah, you should love her. Right. Um, but I, I just love her for her talent and her, her, mm-hmm. her, uh, and she's a, you know, she's like 90 something now. She's, oh, yeah. She's actually quite old and still out doing things and still doing, um, a lot of work for peace. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's, she still gets out there and does a lot of good work. Yeah. Um, uh, so, and she's, um, I have a lot of respect for her. Yeah, and she's a great steward of the uh, Lennon estate. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true, too. Absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, and uh, so, anyway, uh, we got off on a slope there. Oh, we I'm did, sorry. we did. We were, <laughs> we were talking about Jonathan Demian, somehow got into... Uh, got to uh, John, John Lennon, Lennon and Yoko. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. From so, John to John. Yeah. Um, well, okay. Fair enough. So other than that, the other folks who passed away this since the last time we did the show, mm-hmm. um, not as obviously not as big names as uh, Jonathan Demi. Right. Um, a guy named Robert M. Persig, who wrote a book called uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Oh. I've heard of this book. I didn't. But I don't know anything about it. I've, I've read it. Yeah. And just like a few years ago. And wow, okay. Oh, cool. I, I didn't hear anything about him dying. Oh, that's too. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And he was, you know, he was quite old too. I mean, I think he well, was in his eighties. Yeah. Um, I just I've heard that that title of that book, mm-hmm. you know, all my adult life for sure. And I do believe it was kind of a a touch point of the sixties, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think that's um, a good characterization. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of those books that people of that generation talk about a lot. Um, yeah, it's it's almost kind of a, you know, at its time, it was probably a, a modern day version of On the Road. Oh, interesting. Sort hmm. of. Yeah, well, in the 60s, yeah. it was a modern day version of On the Road or late. Right. I guess that would be late 60s. So, yeah, because you um, always kind of hear it mentioned with um, kind of in the same breath as Hunter S. Thompson's works and um, the electric Kool-Aid acid test, uh, which was a late 60s book as well. That was about mm-hmm. Tim Kesey and the Mary Pranksters. Right. And, yeah. Those always seem to kind of get lumped together in that same kind of genre. Sure. I can see that. Definitely. And generation. Yeah. 
So um, yeah, well, I'm sorry sorry to hear about his passing. And uh, good book, I recommend that you you read it. I think it's worth a read yeah, one gonna, time. I'm gonna have to uh, look for it and and give it a, a shot. You know, I read the Electric Kool Aid Acid Test. Have you ever read that book? I haven't. I probably should. It's a really good book, but it's it's it takes a little. You know, it's one of those books. It's like 600 pages. It takes you at least 75 pages to get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I read it once and I really loved it. And then I tried to start reading it again one time and I just didn't didn't get really into it too far. Oh yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but I'd really like to read. That's one I'd really like to read again. It's it's uh, a really interesting, well-written, unique book. Yeah. I've read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, and I've read Hunter S. Thompson's uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and maybe another yeah, one, but I've I can't read. remember. But never read the Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, which is, hmm, yeah. which is interesting. So, hmm. Well, yeah, it's on and my see, list. I'm not a big, yes. I'm not a big Hunter S. Thompson fan. I, people love him. And mm-hmm. I've read Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and I liked it a lot. Um, uh-huh. But I just it's just it just didn't make, you know, sometimes when you read something that people really go off about, um, you're like, yeah, OK, it's good, but it's not that good. <laughs> You know, it it gets hyped up a little too much. Maybe that's what happened to me on that one. Probably. I mean, you know, it's it's a roller coaster ride of a book. And, you know, the movie version is the same. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the movie. I think they they tried to stick to the book and it was similar, but I thought the book was better. But everybody says that about books and movies. Um, Right. Have you ever seen Where the Buffalo Roam with um, Bill Murray? Yeah. um, Bill Murray. Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't think that's a great movie, but it's okay. But the guy who plays uh, the doctor, what's the doctor sidekick's name? Is it Dr. Gonzo Uh, or just Gonzo? I can't remember. Can't remember. Yeah. The guy who Uh, plays that character in Where the Buffalo Roam, mm -hmm. I think, is much better than Benicio uh, Del Toro. Benicio Del Toro. You know, Benicio Del Toro just doesn't. Uh, you don't read the book and picture Benicio del Toro doing that character. I don't know. No, that's but, that's one of the things that didn't yeah. work for me on it. Well, Benicio del Toro is not fat enough. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I, I, you, yeah, Doc, whatever that character's name is, he's supposed to be kind of fat and greasy, and mm-hmm. you know. Uh, yeah, it just doesn't fit the description that's in your mind from reading the book, I think. Well, yeah, but, you know, he had the greasy part down. It's just, you know, he didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he should have wore some pants. He could do it now probably a lot better. He's <laughs> he's right. not fat now. He's just, you know. Um, anyway, a um, couple yeah. other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carrie Turman. Carrie Turman, T-U-R-M-A-N, uh, was the basis for The Temptations. Oh, um, okay. He hmm. passed away this week. Hmm. And then a guy named, I think his name is Michael Man, Mantunato, Mant, Man, Mantuno, Mantuto. I can't remember hmm. exactly how you say it. This, and this is a really weird story. I'm wondering if we'll f- see any more about this story. He starred in like three Disney movies. He was in a Disney movie called Miracle, which was about the hockey team that beat the Russians. I think Kurt Russell was in it. Do you remember that? It was probably 10, 20 years ago that movie came out. Maybe okay. not that long ago. Um, oh, Michael Mantenuto. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mantenuto. Yeah. Um, you remember that's that's a hockey team where they beat the Russians and then the, the announcer was like, do you believe in miracles? Uh, um, okay. 
So yeah, he's in that movie. He's in a couple other Disney live action movies, low budget type stuff. Mm, um, mm-hmm. And so he um, apparently uh, quit acting and joined the military, joined the army oh. a few years ago. Okay. And uh, and then a, a couple days ago, he committed suicide in his car. I believe in a state park or a, a a national park, maybe a city park. I don't know. Some park somewhere. I guess Damn. he was off duty mm. and in his car and and shot himself. And um, I'm I, so I don't know, you know, what happened to him that made him want to commit suicide. But huh. um, apparently he was really, uh, you know, they they were praising him as a soldier. So I don't know. Hmm. Um, you know, he wasn't a trouble. You know, was he? But I, yeah. He, did he have PTSD or something like that from his military well, service? Maybe he did, although he, st- to my knowledge, he was still in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, well, so I don't know. I don't hmm. know if it was just that uh, that somehow had become horrible for him, or because, um, like I say, they were <clears throat> they were talking to um, someone who was like either his commanding officer or something, who said, you know, he was a really caring guy, and he he always put the the um team first and always was you know had the, always had the um the um welfare of the team was foremost in his mind and things like that so uh-huh. i just didn't see anything online uh that really explained what was going on i do believe he was married as well um wow so, yeah that's... not sure what that was all about yeah. it's kind of sad story well, maybe we'll, more details will come out as time goes on, and so we'll, we'll find right. out. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because at first I, we, you know, this is terrible too, but when I read the headline, it was like, former Disney star commits suicide, and you're like, oh, what child actor who grew up and wasn't cute anymore and got screwed over by life? <laughs> oh. Well... You know, yeah, that is kind of the that's really the Disney story right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. Yeah, that that narrative is has happened many many times. So yeah, I I can imagine why you would you would immediately think that. Sure. All right. Yeah. Um. And not that it's not just Disney, but child stars in general who are who right. are um yeah. tossed away when they get older and aren't cute anymore. Exactly. Um, you know, it's, it's a sad, that's a sad story. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway, that's, that's the people who died. Cue music. All right. Uh, there we are. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. So. Hey, um, I want to, I want to mention one other thing. Okay. Because, um, you know, it's episode 39 now, and uh, it's not a real episode unless there's an obligatory Troy Savon mention. Okay, um, go for it. <laughs> so he was at Coachella last weekend, and he's done a new – you know, I know he's in L.A. working on an out, on a new record. He hasn't really talked about it, but it's, it, it's obvious that he's in L.A. recording right now. Uh, but he went to Coachella and did a performance with a guy who's like an EMD artist, electronic, electronic – Electronic, or is it EDM? Electronic dance music? EDM? I think oh. it's EDM. Okay. Um, <laughs> a guy named Martin Garris. I've never, I've, I don't know who he is, but um, uh, it, so he did a song live called There For You, which I'm sure is going to get released and um, be a single at a certain point. And so I'm excited because Troy Savon is working on new music. All right. Well, okay. <laughs> Good. 
And then, and then the other thing I wanted to mention about last week, we talked about 13 reasons why. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's getting a lot of press lately. Oh, there yeah. are people who are, you sure. know, I, we've all seen in the news, there are schools sending home letters and there are people who think it's, it opens to t- you know, discussions and other people who thinks it sends a wrong message. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've, I've read of some of those articles. Going on with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is totally unrelated to that. <laughs> okay. So I, what do you mean? Last last week we were talking about, you know, how I said, oh, I'm not going to watch anymore, but I might read the synopsis of each yes. episode to kind of see where it goes. Sure. So I, I got on Wikipedia and started doing that, and I got to about episode seven or eight. And, mm-hmm. and one at least one episode in this first season is directed by a guy named Greg Araki. That sounds who familiar. Who is a director that I I really like him. He he um he did a show a movie called Mysterious Skin. He did a in the eighties he had a movie called uh, The Living End that was kind of like an AIDS um, movie, but it was completely unlike any other AIDS movie. It was like a radical road picture about a guy who finds out he has AIDS and he ends up going on the road with this guy who's kind of a dangerous criminal kind of guy. It was, it, you oh, know, that hmm. that's. Yeah, it's a really it's a it's kind of a uh, important uh, gay movie and it's an important uh, indie film. It was one like one of the first gay indie films that talked about AIDS that wasn't like a gloom and doom. Okay, uh, it's more of a a, kind of a story, more of a celebration of life. In a way, it's really odd. I mean, you know, it's uh, uh, it's, it's and it's funny, too. Like the guy finds out he has AIDS and he's like, huh? guess i'm gonna have to slow down on the joy division (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's a really Uh it's yeah it's a a real touchstone of indie filmmaking and especially indie gay indie filmmaking Mm -hmm. uh when indie films were really first taking off so it's called the living end and it's it's fantastic um mysterious skin had uh, joseph gordon levitt in it and uh, it's based on a uh, a well-known book and um uh, it's about this kid who grows up to be a, a, a hustler and kind of uh, his story, hmm. uh, him and him and another boy who get molested when they're kids and kind of their huh. their 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 paths go in different ways and then they kind of meet up together. It's a really great movie too. And that was, um, so anyway, Greg Araki. He is directing. He directed one of the episodes of uh, Thirteen Reasons Why. Right. Okay. Um, and he hmm. also, I mentioned him last week because he also directed some episodes in season two of Red Oaks, um, hmm. which I haven't got to yet. So I'm, so, I'm he, interested to see what he does. So I may end up picking up 13 Reasons Why again. Okay. Well, you know, like I said, it you should at least watch a couple of more episodes before you make your final decision on right. what you think I'm of it. I'm probably going to watch it and 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 fall in love with it and then be like that guy who was a complete asshole about the first episode and and now loves it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I wouldn't going to say it, but uh, yeah, that might be the case. Yeah. We'll find that's, out. That's usually how how things go for me, man. Right. Um, you know, um, in the introduction, I mentioned Daniel Johnston. Uh, right. I've recently got interested in him. You probably know him best if you know him at all. He's the guy who created the artwork, Kai, How Are You? You know, the picture of the frog. Right, yeah. Right. And he's also like a, a singer-songwriter. I guess he got famous in the early 80s. Do you right. Remember? I don't know much about him. I know his name. I had a friend who uh, really liked him. And it's funny, I... 
I was watching a movie not too long ago. I, it may have been one of the Noah Baumbach movies mm-hmm. that had a song by Daniel Johnston uh, on the soundtrack. And so I was I think I went on YouTube to listen to it or something. But um, OK, yeah. So I'm va- I'm vaguely familiar, just barely familiar. OK, yeah. I mean, I've just kind of scratched the surface. I actually ran across a. Uh, a documentary about him that was, I think it was playing on Showtime, and I can't even remember it because I only caught like the last, maybe the last few minutes of it, but I was like, wow, I, I really need to check this out. And I went online and he did one of those, um, what does it call it, the small desk concerts. You've heard of those before? Where a musician uh-huh. will go, they're basically in a, you know, it's just a small room with maybe, you know, 10 people listening in and yeah there are a lot of them uh probably all available on youtube called the small desk concerts and it's lots of different musicians and and i just happened to listen to one by daniel johnson but but daniel johnson you know he he is not an austin native but he you know he moved here as soon as he could get here probably when he was still young (laughs) and in the early 80s and he actually made quite a quite a name for himself I just read a little bit about him. Oh, yeah. He's kind yeah. of regarded as an important figure in outsider, lo-fi, and alternative music scenes, mostly in the 80s and early 90s. And uh, right. there was something called Austin New Sincerity Movement in Music. And I think he even, like in the mid-80s, was even on MTV. There was a, I think there was a show called The Cutting Edge. And he sounds familiar was on there. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. Mm-hmm. He actually kind of made a name for himself, and he even started working with uh, the music producer in New York City called Kramer. You might have heard of him before. He was, I think, he was the guy who started uh, Shimmy Disc. You probably have some either uh, recordings or maybe some video video music mm. stuff from Shimmy Disc. I know John Christensen had a lot of Shimmy Disc stuff and it was all produced by this guy this you know music guru of you know obscure stuff in new york city daniel johnston did an album that was produced by this kramer guy uh like in the late 80s and the name of the album was 1990 well right around the time that this this was gaining traction and he was kind of about to be signed by some uh, you know some larger record companies he I don't know if he was diagnosed or started showing signs of schizophrenia. And um, right, yeah, actually, after I think a concert that he did some did in Austin at a music festival, he and his his father happened to be a private pilot. They were flying back to West Virginia, I think, where his parents lived, and he had a schizophrenic episode where he all of a sudden thought he was Casper the Friendly Ghost. He turned the key off of his father's airplane, threw the key out the window, and his father luckily happened to be an um, ex-Air Force pilot, so he actually was able to crash land the plane without killing both of them. So they both survived with just minor injuries. So it was kind of a... Yeah, so it was kind of a literally a downward spiral for Daniel Johnston and his career. So he ended up in like mental insti- a mental institution. And what was weird about that is when he was in the mental institution, there were actually large record companies trying to sign him to their label. But uh, so wow, isn't that wow crazy? But off and hmm. on throughout the years, you know, he's released an album. I think most recently, maybe about two thousand nine, he released 
some new music, and there have actually been a couple of documentaries made about him uh, within, you know, say the past 10 years or so. So I want to actually see both of those documentaries soon, and maybe I'll report about them. Because uh, he's, yeah. kind of, he's kind of an interesting character in in Austin history. Uh, right, yeah. I, like I say, I have heard the name um, and some of the things you're saying. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've heard that. Like the, the mental breakdown thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I remember hearing a little bit about that, reading or, or something about it somewhere. Um, um, but I don't really know that much about him, and I've yeah. I'm trying to remember. I know I've heard a couple songs here and there, but nothing that I've really yeah. delved into. So he's one of those strange, you know, self, you know, or at least originally self-producing musicians, kind of in the same vein as you've heard of Jan Deck or John Deck, that musician. I think Jan he's Jan Deck uh, in yeah. Houston. I think he's a Houston musician. He uh, is. Who's kind of a, a, Jan, a hermit of sorts. Jan Deck on Corwood is the name of the, the documentary about him, and it's fantastic. It's an amazing story. Wow. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so, like, um, not to interrupt your story, but like no, Jan Deck on Corwood, mm-hmm. when you, in fact, when you were talking about Daniel Johnston, it made me think about Jan Deck. Um, right. Uh, I, I saw that movie at a film festival. I had never heard of Jan Deck. Mm-hmm. And so when I watched this documentary, and, and it's talking about the mystery of Jan Deck and all this stuff and how no one's seen him and all, and all these things, no one knows really right. who he is. Yeah. I, I wasn't 100% sure while I was watching it whether it was real or fake i was like oh you know i was like is this a real person or is this some kind of manufactured mock not mockumentary but that's what they call fake documentary um about this guy and so the first thing i did when i got home that day was google him of course you know of course try and find out is he a real person or not and um so yeah, th- that was a really that's a really s- a special memory for me because it was a really uh, cool. It's a, and it's a great movie, a great interesting story. Um, so it comes highly recommended. So yeah, yeah I would be interested on on if you watch some um, uh, Daniel Johnston documentaries, uh, what you think of them. I, I might right. even be down to watch one. Yeah, there's some uh, old old stuff of him performing at some local Austin club uh, on YouTube that's worth giving a look and then of course there's you know there are more things uh, more recent thing like the small desk concert that he did that I mentioned earlier and um, right so yeah and then I'm, I'm definitely going to seek out the various documentaries that he's in there's even an old yeah there's even an old documentary from the mid 80s where there was a, there used to be a music festival in Austin called Woodshock, and uh, he's one of the performers hmm. in that documentary as well. So uh, I'm going to seek that out first off, and then you know hit the other ones that uh, I've seen, and maybe try to absorb as much information. Because the first stepping off point was finding, oh shit. He's the guy who did the hi, how are you, frog, you know? So Right, that I did know. That I did know. I remember okay. hearing mm-hmm. that because it, it seemed so, uh, um, because when I moved, because I have heard, I'd heard of him before I moved to Austin, um, mm-hmm. but really didn't know anything about him other than that he was from here. And yeah. then I remember 
seeing somewhere I saw something that told that he had that. I think at one point they were talking about um, painting over that mural or something, and people had to step in and stop them from doing that. Yeah, and, um, that's true. You know, you know how Austin gets sometimes somebody bought that building, and then we're going to mm-hmm. paint over the mural. Dumbasses, right. <laughs> and uh, and they had to sign. I think so. It must was probably in the Austin Chronicle, and then read that it was a, a mural by Daniel Johnston. And I'm like, mm-hmm. really? This guy, this musician, you know, who I've only vaguely heard of, um, yeah. was the one who created that mural. And then, of course, right. as I've lived in Austin over the years, you, uh, I've I've even got a picture of myself in front of that mural because you know hmm. it's an Austin landmark. Absolutely. I mean, you know, he was kind of a cartoonist kind of parallel with being a musician not that he was a published cartoonist until very recently like within the past five years or so he Hmm. there was a published uh, graphic novel or comic book whatever you want to call it that uh, was produced by him so I might even have to seek that out and add that to my yeah that sounds interesting uh add that to my uh, limited collection of comics I'll put it right next to my uh, Daniel Close comics. <laughs> hey, that reminds me, uh, Daniel Close, you know, I love Ghost World. I think that's mm-hmm. really cool. There's a new movie coming out that's based on a Daniel Close graphic novel. And God uh-huh. damn it, I can't remember what it's called now. Um, do you know what it is off the top of your head? No, but Shia LaBeouf is going to star in it. Well, someone else no, is in it. No, that's not true. That's not true. Oh, okay. Remember, remember a couple of years ago, say- Shia LaBeouf was, got in trouble for doing a, a, a self-produced film where he basically ripped off a, a Daniel Close graphic that's novel? That's right. I totally forgot about that. That's that's funny. That's interesting. Yeah, um, crazy. Uh this new movie that's coming out, God, and I want to say it's Billy Bob Thornton, but uh, mm-hmm. I might be wrong. Um, anyway, I've seen a preview for it, and the preview looks awful. <laughs> I was so disappointed. Oh, really? It just, it's about a, it's about a guy who's like his 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 life is just shitty, and he's constantly dealing with shittiness, and uh-huh. um, hmm. and I was just like, eh, it doesn't look that good. That's um, too bad. Yeah, but I wish I could. Because because I, I could remember who's in it. Because Ghost World was so good, which is based on Daniel right. Close's uh, graphic novel. But you don't remember the name of it, huh? No, in fact, I'm googling it right now okay. because I want because I I want to know. If nothing else, I want to know who's who's in it and what it uh, and and I can't remember if it um, has a um, oh that's right. There's another movie based on his work called Art School Confidential that I actually kind of liked. Oh. Um, hmm. Interesting. But let, yeah, let's see. It's called Wilson. And who's in it? Wilson. Uh, uh, Woody Harrelson is who's in it. It's not Billy Bob Thornton. Okay. Um, and he's he's this he's a he's like he's an asshole. So mm-hmm. of course Harrelson plays him really well. But well, of he's, course he's like an asshole. And then so here's the premise: a lonely, neurotic, and uncomfortably honest middle-aged man reunites with his estranged wife, played by Laura Dern, and meets his teenage daughter for the first time. But it just hmm. if you get a chance, I'll I'll try to remember to post the uh, the preview that I saw on our our page. Because okay. um, I don't think it com- comes out until later this year. Um, oh, no, it already came out in March, but it, I don't think it's come to Austin yet. Hmm. I don't remember seeing that come around. But yeah. anyway, I was just so disappointed because uh, I like Daniel Close. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I, I forgot you know. about the Shia LaBeouf thing. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So, well, hopefully, you know, it was just marketed badly and maybe the film itself is good. Yeah, you never know. It, they may sometimes they cut a trailer trying to make it seem like a comedy when it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, you never know. It, I I I sh- should have learned by now not to trust trailers, but True. Um, you know, you, you you never know. That for some reason, all this too. Well, not for some reason. For an obvious reason, this reminded me too of there's a Austin um, comic writer, comic strip creator mm-hmm. whose name is. Uh, Ben Snake Pit. Have you ever seen the Snake Pit uh, comics? I don't, I don't think I have. Is it in the Chronicle? Uh, he, I, I think at one point a long time ago it was. Mm. Since then he okay. he did some kind of self-published books, oh. and then he did um, and then so I have some of his stuff that was that was almost like Xeroxed copies put together and made into a, like a pamphlet size. Oh wow! Book. That's cool. And then. And then he's since then he's published real, um, you know, um, uh, paperback books. Oh, okay. That mm-hmm. are that are more, yeah, real, more published. You know, more like a real published book hmm. um, that collect cool. his stuff. But he did, he did. It started when I don't. Uh, sometime in the early two thousands, he decided that he would draw a comic a day, and all of the. So he started on like January one, uh-huh. and and um, all of the comics. I think all of the comics have a song title for the title of that day's comic. It's been a while since I read some of his stuff. I have a couple of his books. Okay, well um, that sounds pretty cool. Huh. Yeah, yeah, they're really interesting, and and some of them are not. It's not, and it's it's pers- It's a kind of autobiographical. Mm-hmm. So he. he he plays a character in the in the comic, and some of them are just kind of ethereal, and some of them are stories, and some of them are just little moments in time. Hmm. Uh, so you know, it's it can be hit and miss. Some of them are okay, and some of them are really uh, kind of deep and and uh, thought provoking. So he went to the uh, he went to the crumb school of storytelling. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing. He, the one of the reasons he says that he started doing a comic a day, which mm-hmm. I think they're all four panel all four panel comics. Oh, okay. Um, uh, th- was that he wanted to improve on his drawing, and his drawing is really pretty good. I mean, it, he's not uh, certainly not the greatest uh, comic creator of all time but i i found and you know some of it is about austin things as well and it's it's kind of like that that early 2000s austin lifestyle of the little bit the slacker lifestyle and hanging out and going to shows and and uh he worked at sound exchange i believe for a while and so you know and he has friends who are musicians and he even went on tour with the band for a while um so it's, hmm. yeah, and then of course relationships with women and and different things and yeah, it's it's a really cool and especially with the Austin connection makes it even cooler if you're from Austin. Right. Um, comic. Okay. What's what's this? What's this cartoonist name? Well, he goes by Ben Snake Pit, and ben the cartoon Snake is called Snake Pit. Okay. Yeah. Cartoon cool. is called Snake Pit, or the hmm. comic I should say is called Snake Pit. Yeah. And um. So I know uh, the one I haven't read is his last one, which is called Snake Pit Gets Old. Um, but one day oh, yeah? I'll pick that up. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> I might be able to identify with that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can we have a quick Twin Peaks moment? We haven't had one for a couple weeks. Well, sure. Cue music. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so, um, you know, we're not that far. We're less. We're like three weeks away from the premiere oh, on Showtime. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. And I still haven't got my. Do you get Showtime? Yes. So I'm going to ask you now to record the first episode just in case my life doesn't work out to where I get to see it when it comes on on the 21st. Don't worry. I will be we'll, recording every episode. Cool. Um, uh, because I uh, I think I told you in a previous uh, uh, slope that uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's my parents' 55th wedding anniversary that day. And I'm going to be in Houston hanging out with family. Yes. And I don't know if my ne- – I know my nephew doesn't get Showtime because he doesn't – he doesn't – of course, he's unique. He, he's a uh, young person. He doesn't subscribe to any TV provider anymore. He uses some over – he. He, well, I take that back. He, he pays twenty dollars to some company, mm-hmm. and he gets a lot of the the TV shows okay. um, uh, through the internet. You know, through rather than through cable. Yeah, it, it's some kind of internet service or whatever. Kind of like it's like they have Netflix shows, and well, he has Netflix, he has Hulu, mm-hmm. and then he has this twenty dollar provider provides a lot of network shows and stuff. Like, I don't know, uh, but anyway, I know Roku or something. It's similar, but it's different. Okay. It's more of a show. It's more of it's more of like a Hulu, but they do network shows. I don't. Hmm. I can't remember what it's called. He okay. always knows the newest thing. Anyway, <laughs> well, um, yeah. And then, did you see that I posted a picture this week of my new uh, Twin Peaks action figures? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You even also you did some Snapchatting of your action figures as well. Yeah, you've yeah. Got, you've got the Log Lady. You got Bob. You have I can't remember who else. You have Laura Palmer and uh, Agent Cooper. Laura, yes, yeah. So it's four characters. The company that came from is is named Clark Toys. Mm. I ordered it about three months ago, but when I ordered it, they said it would be April before it shipped, and I don't mm. even remember what I paid for it. But I was like. I'm getting this. <laughs> yes. And so I, and the reason I found it was there's a company that does, um, they do the little, they're not bobbleheads, but they're like little figures that have bigger heads and, yeah. and they do a lot of, a lot of characters. I can't, those things are called pop, pop toys, or I can't remember what they're called, but I saw that they were doing some Twin Peaks, but I don't like those because they don't really look like the characters right. or anything. I, yeah, I think there, uh, are, there are some Walking Dead ones also that were, I yeah, think uh, Hardwick yeah. had shown on, and I was like, yeah, uh, sort of, but they don't really look a lot like the characters. They're just kind of a hint right. uh, look like the characters. And my nephew loves those pop toys, whatever they're called. I can't remember what they're called now. He has a ton of them. He thinks they're really cool. I just don't think they're that great. So I saw online that they were going to release Twin Peaks characters in that pop format, whatever that company is that does that, uh-huh. um, was going to do some Twin Peaks characters. And I was like, man, I don't want those, but it would be cool if there with some other kind of Twin Peaks stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started Googling around and I found these Clark Toys things. Yeah, so, those are cool. Um, well, yeah, let I was me, really excited when they came. Let me ask you this. Are they vintage or are they recently produced? They're recently produced because okay. um, mm. um, that's why I ordered them in January and, and didn't get them till April uh, um, because they okay. were not 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 had been had not been released yet hmm. um so all right so that's all awesome. right that's our twin peaks moment yeah <laughs> <laughs> great okay hey so, so i know we want to talk about fargo 
Yeah. And we want to talk about Bates Motel, uh, the final episode. Bates, uh, yeah, Bates Motel and the uh, Riverdale. Yes, the latest and Riverdale. Then there's one, and then there's one other show I want to talk about too. Um, okay. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into those? Nope. So let's talk about TV. Okay. Hey, before we get into all those things I just talked about, do uh, you have you watched any more feuds yet? I'm trying to remember. I saw the, the episode after the Academy Award one where okay. you know they're doing um, uh, "Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte." Betty Davis is right doing "Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte," and she's supposedly conscripted Joan Crawford to be in the movie as well, but then we find out her ulterior motives were just to fuck with Joan Crawford. Well, possibly. Yeah, you know, of course, this is a well, scripted TV show that's that's yeah. that's based in some hearsay. You know, right. no one really knows for sure how things went down well, because... Um, but the way the show portrays it, though, that's what went down. Right. But you got to take it with right. a grain of salt. I mean, they've taken a lot of liberty in the show, as I've heard. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, you know, there are the, no one really knows for sure whether Joan was sick or whether she was just faking because she didn't want to. She was trying to, you know, make things go her way mm-hmm. uh, on the movie. So, you know, who knows how much of it is? I mean, it's all based in gossip and stories that we've heard about the the uh, Betty Davis and, and Joan Crawford for a long time. Um, yeah. Uh, so it, I one thing I really liked about that the miniseries is it you you really feel for both of them you know i really felt for joan crawford um and i really felt for betty davis and it was always it just seemed like if they could just throw away the bullshit and and just accept each other for the people that they were they well, could have been friends yeah but, but they you know you know the way joan crawford is portrayed though She's such a damaged person from her childhood that maybe that's just impossible. Well, you know? I mean, I agree. But I think, you know, neither one of them had the understanding to be understand. <laughs> that's a horrible way to say it. But neither <laughs> one of them had the compassion, I guess, to be understanding with the other. You know, yeah, um, they, they would they they would take each other's personalities and and not understand where the other person was coming from i, I like it i just seems it, it, it's in betty davis it was impossible for her to have any compassion for joan mm-hmm. because she always thought joan w- felt that she was a better you know a better person yeah. uh, than betty and and joan always felt like betty thought she was a better actress than joan was and they could never just say you know oh i understand why you're this way because because yeah. you know you're insecure or whatever and mm-hmm. they were both smart ladies but neither one of them was smart enough to see through see through to the real person behind the mask of the other person and see where they they were coming from yeah. which is kind of you know hard to understand from actresses because actresses should be able to look beneath the veneer and see the real person underneath uh, and neither one of them seems to have been able to do that so it, yeah it, it's kind of sad because you really i like both of them and the way they're portrayed in this in this uh, show i like as well i, mm-hmm. I thought you know um 
Susan Sarandon and who who play and um, Jessica Lange were fantastic in this thing. Oh yeah, they were so good. I just loved every episode. Yeah, they, they definitely made this miniseries. They made it great because I love Jessica Lange and just about everything that she does, and Susan Sarandon as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, just and what you were saying, it is a shame that you know Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. You know, it's like there were there were points in the miniseries where they do kind of band together and and try to uh, put up a, right. a, a, Every- a, a solid front together. And they and they and they're they were great when they did that. But then it would always fall back into these petty disputes and 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 grievances and and jealousies. Right. Unfortunately, right. Yeah. 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 They just couldn't yeah. overcome that. And I think, too, they were both so fucked over by that Hollywood system and, yeah. and by how women were treated and actresses sure. and women, you know, were treated in the business at that time. Absolutely. That, you know, they were they were already operating from a deficit. And, uh, right. And, you know, it's hard to be kind to someone else when you're trying to crawl out of a fucking hole <laughs> right beside him. So, well, you true, know. true. And just one other last thing is I've, I watched mm-hmm. the whole series and the ending oh, is spectacular. Cool. Oh. Um, but my one of my favorite, you, you know, we, like we like I always say, I, I love sometimes cheesy, bad, horrible movies uh, and TV shows. Man from Atlantis, as we were saying. Right. There's a, the last movie that Joan Crawford was ever in was called Trog. Have you ever seen Trog? Oh, is that about the Neanderthal man running wild across the countryside? Yes, and she's like a a um, archaeologist or some something oh. like that, oh where God. she's trying to uh, she's trying to tame him and and uh, understand him and study him. Uh, oh, it's oh one God. of my favorite movies of all times. Oh, it, really? She, and. I was re- I, when I was watching the mini series of it, and there's the mm-hmm. so in the very last episode, it starts with Joan filming that movie. Really? Um, oh boy. Yeah, it's really interesting, and they've got a mask that looks exactly like the Trog mask. I mean, it's perfect, <laughs> and and like it's really great. And then, um, so it was interesting. Then, I, so what I thought about when I was watching it was when you watch Trog. I think one of the things I love about it, and it's and I saw it when I was a kid and loved it from the first time I saw it. Yeah, me is too. Joan Crawford takes it so seriously. She's not putting, you know, it's kind mm-hmm. of a cheesy B movie, but right. she. She acts her heart out in the thing, and you know it's a fucking guy in a mask. But you believe her character cares about him and wants wow. to help him, and I mean she just she just acts her heart out. And I'm like, you hmm. know, no matter what she did, she would throw her whole self into it. She wow. never did anything halfway. That's for sure. And that's you know, it makes me want to see. It makes me want to see Trog again. It's one of my favorite. <laughs> makes me want to see it again. Time. Yeah, I remember seeing yeah. it a long time ago when I was a kid, and I was going, "Oh my god, this movie's a piece of shit." But, but I, <laughs> and you it know, is in many ways, I, you know. But, but at the time, I didn't know who Joan Crawford was, so maybe I should right? watch it again just for for that reason, you know. Yeah, just to to see it with fresh eyes because mm. I've seen it. Probably four or five times, and I saw it. A TCM mm-hmm. Turner Classic Movies showed it. Oh. I want to say within the last. I've seen it within the last three years or so. They showed it one night, at, like probably in the middle of the night. Right. Yeah. Because no matter how good her performance, the movie was a stinker. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's completely so. dumb and has no basis in scientific reality right. whatsoever. So, <laughs> but hey, you know, uh, a woman's got to be able to pay her gardeners. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, she she was. Yes, um, there you go. But yeah, that was that series was. You know, it's only eight episodes. Um, I just thought it was really done well. I really enjoyed it. Um, there, oh, there's a there's a I don't know if you got to the episode where uh, Joan has made a movie called Straight Jacket, which was directed by William Castle. Uh, yes, um, yes. I think that was part of and, part of the, the last episode that I saw because it was yeah, r- right before yeah. she started working on uh, Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte. Hush, Hush, right, Sweet right. Charlotte. <laughs> That's hard to That's say. That's hard to say. You're right. With a dry mouth. Um, I need to have re- a glass of water did- with me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I didn't bring any to the table this time either. Um, at the beginning of that episode, John Waters plays William Castle. Oh, and, yeah. Um, yes. That's yeah, great. Yeah, so that great. Was, that was great. Because mm-hmm. Waters is a huge William Castle fan. You know, William Castle is the guy who put out the movie The Tingler, where they electrified seats. Oh, and really? House- That's so cool. House That's a- on Haunted... Yeah, that's a Vincent Price movie, isn't it? The Tingler? Yeah, oh, it's yeah. great. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's great. Uh, he did a movie called House on Haunted Hill where they had a skeleton come down from behind the movie screen over the audience when the skeleton <laughs> pops out in the movie. Oh, that's um, funny. He, you know, he was, always uh, had gimmicks. Right. And so even though he promised Joan no gimmicks on Straight Jacket, she plays mm-hmm. an axe murderer. Yeah. And they gave the audience little um, hatchets or plastic axe. axes. Right. Yeah. Straight Jacket is really actually, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's a great movie. Um, another one where Crawford takes it so seriously. Mm-hmm. And it's a really good, for what it is, for a B movie about a, uh-huh. about a, a woman who's been put in a mental institution and yeah. comes out and her daughter's an adult and going to get married. Hmm. Um, it's just a really great story. And, and Crawford is great in it in a in a b-movie kind of a way well you got to appreciate her professionalism then well i think so and i think that's what set her apart too from a lot of other actresses who did b-movies who were in on the joke and whether crawford was just not wise enough to be in on the joke or whether she chose not to be no one really knows for sure but i mean i think that to me that's what makes a b-movie even if it's a cheesy, laughable movie, what makes uh-huh. it great is when the people who are in it take it seriously. The right. more serious they take it, the more fun it is to watch, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree. Didn't mean to get into um, no, that's uh, fine. feud, but I wanted to talk about it because I, I watched the last episode and thought it was really good. Yeah, I'm glad you did because I think the last what episode 38 we didn't talk about it at all so i'm glad we uh, yeah we haven't yeah and we haven't re- talked about it for a while so yeah yeah so it reminds me to watch the rest of the episodes this weekend if i can uh this weekend yeah that so would be cool. cool i would like to see what you think of it yeah all right cool the ending the last episode is after you know the beginning is her doing trog which to mm. me was a highlight because I, I was waiting for that yeah and then the series wraps up and it just gets it's an amazing ending they do a fantastic job on ending the thing in a really interesting way um so yeah <laughs> all right cool we'll, we'll definitely discuss right. once i'm i'm through it yeah it sounds good fantastic okay all right which one you want to go to next Bates Motel. Okay. Hey, man. I'm telling you. Norman's, I'm telling you right now, man. Norman's dead. Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. 
Norman's Norman's dead. I don't no spoilers, but um, <laughs> dude, you, you know I hated the last two episodes. There was the episode yeah. that Highmore directed where he gets arrested, which I just thought was kind of lackluster. Yeah. And then there was the episode after that that I called the shit on Dylan episode. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Through all that. And so this episode starts with, you know, Romero's got him and they're driving into the woods. And right. And, was, and then, of course, of course, Norman kills him easily because because uh, Romero turns his back and Norman grabs right. a rock and kills him. You know, I was just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Well, I saw that coming and, a mile uh, away. It was like, oh, yes, Romero's so enthralled at looking at Norma's corpse that it was like, well, shit, this is yeah. going to happen. You know, we, yeah, yeah. How, how else could it have gone, though? You know, um, right. I mean, but, and then there was the whole thing where it's you started to they started to show like flashbacks and uh, this dream world where you thought, oh, my God, is this going to be the freaking um Dallas dream again as Norman's <laughs> dreamt all of this you know yeah they always you know that's the common thing for these series to do now is tease you that we might end it that it was all a dream but no not right. really we're just yeah. we're yeah so yeah. There, you, get, you get through all that you get through the whole fucking thing mm-hmm. and I, I I am you know it's it's ends at 10 o'clock and it's 9 55 and I'm like oh, I'm so disappointed in this blah blah mm. blah and then fucking Dylan gives his speech, yeah. and I had my heart broken. Uh, he Aww. that guy. I don't know how you say his last name. Max Thoreau, I think, is the actor's name. Right. I don't know if it's Thoreau. Um, fucking he he sold that speech at the end where he tells Norman, "I want us, I want us to have Christmases together, and I want you guys to meet my daughter and all this stuff, mm-hmm. and that's not going to happen now. And, right. oh, it just broke your heart. I was sobbing. He saved the fucking series, in my opinion. That <laughs> well, speech that, that speech was so sweet and so – and he delivered it so – emotionally and so realistically mm-hmm. that and then of course you know he has to shoot norman we know that's going to happen that has that's how it right. has to end um well, i i kind of call this episode the of mice and men episode of uh base motel because <laughs> dylan shoots norman very much like george shoots lenny in the end you know it's almost a it's a mercy killing and a, and a sad thing. And right. He's, and he's holding Norman, you know, after he's done the deed and, and, and yeah, and he slips away. So, but yeah, I, I, yeah. Agree. I don't mean to say that it was derivative and, and trite, but it had that same impact, you know, it was like, you know, it's something that has to be done, but it's still sad as hell at the end. Right. Well, I, you know, that speech that Dylan gives, other characters have given speeches similar. Mm-hmm. Um, that that speech certainly wasn't groundbreaking or, you know, anything. But the guy who – the actor, Max Thoreau, who delivered it, yeah. just delivered it so well, oh, yeah. so heartfelt that you you bought into it entirely and, mm-hmm. and it just break, it broke my heart, yeah. that he, you know – I'll cry if I think about it, that he wanted this, he wanted to have his brother and his mother back and he mm-hmm. wanted things to be 
the way they should and he right. he's he knows that can't happen and oh that yeah. to me that saved the whole shebang man that saved the whole series because i was utterly disappointed up until that point in the last three episodes i guess um, they were saving up to yeah so, to jerk yeah. your tears they, out Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they did a good job of it because yeah, they did. up until that point it was so standard and it just seemed like a long drawn out thing. Like they had ten episodes and after seven episodes they didn't know what to do anymore, so they just kept dragging everything out. Um, yeah, and the and the whole thing with Emma being like she didn't know if she could stay with Dylan just didn't ring true to me. And so I I also liked at the end when Dylan and Emma and the baby are together and you know that she for you know they stayed together that you know right. of course you want that to happen you want you want to feel good about that so yeah I, yeah I, I, yeah i made a note of that i said yeah dylan emma and baby live happily ever after the end yeah which <laughs> yeah which is which is you know you can you kind of want that ending well, um somebody needed a happy ending because most other characters in the show certainly didn't have that didn't have any kind of good ending, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they did an after show. Did you watch the after show? Yes, I did. I I actually What'd liked you think? it. I I liked the way they did it. I'm glad they didn't do it like a um you know the other after shows that they tried to do early on in the series. You know, it was more like a documentary than it was a right uh, kind a, of a, a, a making a of, show. and the fans had to say yeah. Right. I wrote, um, if it feels like a missed opportunity to do to do more, be more, and say more. The mm. after show, like any after show without Chris Hardwick, is very uneventful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they just 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 maybe maybe they can't either afford it or they can't he can't do it but i'd be calling hardwick can you please come do our after show <laughs> i don't care i don't care what it costs well, any it would be money well spent yeah if yeah if they could have gotten hardwick to do the type of after show that you know we know that he can produce uh that'd be great but you know under the circumstances they did the best they could and i'm glad they didn't do it like try to copy the hardwick style right right i agree with you there um and it was neat to 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 see some of the fans and and you know ha- let them have a chance to kind of uh say what they like about the show or or different things um so that was neat right yeah it was interesting to see some of the the fan art and other things that they uh i'm sure every show right. gets that now you know lots of, i know walking dead gets a lot of fan art and and stuff sent to them that they show all the times right yeah that was yeah. cool too so mm-hmm. yeah i didn't hate the after show i was just like yeah it was a little could have been more they could have done a little something more maybe mm, even maybe i guess they were afraid to give it an hour but you know they could have yeah. delved a little deeper right. um but you know, it was what it was. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Chris Hardwick, have you watched uh-huh. Talking with Chris Hardwick? I have not. The... Uh, no, I have not. Any Just good real... Any good guests lately? Well, so after Elijah Wood, the, then he had on three guys who were in a show called Silicon Valley, um, which oh, okay. I guess is kind of a comedy show. Um, yeah. And they were really entertaining and interesting and funny. And, and, mm-hmm. um, and, and then... Last week he had Michelle Moynihan, which she's uh, in True Detective. She's in um, she's in a new TV show called The Path, which I've never heard of. Me either. Um, 
but uh, you know, Hardwick has a really good. He really is good at picking guests, and he know you know he knows about them too. He's not sitting there mm-hmm. trying you know reading questions that you know someone else wrote because he doesn't really know anything about this person's career. Yeah, he he knows his shit. Oh yeah, um, that's his that's his so, stick, man. That is his uh, definite playground. He knows how to do a good interview. And make it feel yeah, real. And and so he's either inviting people on this show that he that he's a fan of because yeah. he knows their work really well, or mm-hmm. he's a really great preparer because he knows what he's talking about. There used to be a show that came on after, you know, it used to be uh, the Tonight Show on NBC and then Letterman. Mm-hmm. And then there was a show in the 90s that came on afterwards called Later with Bob Costas. Did yeah, you ever, did yeah you remember I remember that. that. Sure. Oh, yeah. I, like I that love show. that show because definitely Costas is a great interviewer too. And I was like, I think talking with Chris Hardwick is the best interview show I've seen since, since uh, um, later with Bob Costas, because he, okay. he's just good at what he does. He's a good interviewer. And I think he picks, I think he makes a, a real uh, uh, attempt to pick people to come on the show that are going to be entertaining, that are going to be mm. good talkers and storytellers, mm-hmm. and that he can he can chat with and make it seem very informal, um, but yet also very fanboy, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I've really been impressed with it. Even when it had on these, you know, after watching it, I want to see this show, Silicon Valley. It looks interesting because um, it's kind of a comedy. I don't know. I think it's about yeah. some guys who create us who are friends who create a startup and how that goes i'm not sure though uh, um, yeah i've seen a couple of episodes of it you know geez it's it's been on for a couple of years now hasn't it yeah i think and, it's in its uh, third or fourth season now yeah yeah i liked it because you know i also was watching that show halt and catch fire which is about the early computer industry and then moving right. moving into you know the online world you know so it's stretching over over 10 years at this point but yeah silicon valley is yeah a modern startup show yeah and i guess it's yeah gotcha. it's, it's yeah it's mostly comedic with it's maybe it's kind of a dramedy even no i think it's probably more just a standard comedy but uh yeah i haven't seen an episode of that in quite a while but as i recall it was very entertaining the three guys who were the main i guess the main guys and i I think they may have created the show as well. I'm not exactly oh, sure uh, yeah. that were on um, uh, were really interesting uh, and funny. And um, most of them seem to have a background in stand up comedy of some kind or something. So okay. I don't know. They're, just, they're again, just good, a good interview. And hmm. Hardwick knew how to get them to talk about stuff. And even if you didn't know the show, it was interesting. So um, cool. All right, well, yeah, he's good at what he does. All right, you've convinced me. I'll start watching. <laughs> what's, it's yeah, it's what's it called? Talk, worth, if you're, talking with Chris Hardwick. Mm-hmm. And oh, it's on okay. uh, AMC on Sunday nights at ten, so ten o'clock central. So, hmm. um, so okay. there's nothing. There's not a lot else on at that time right now. So, yeah, that's true. All right. Okay. Cool. Um, you want to do um, Fargo or Riverdale? Let's do Fargo. Yeah. Okay. Wow. 
This latest episode, I thought it was just going to be one of those episodes that just progresses the plot a little bit, but a a lot of uh, crazy shit happens in this episode. It it did. But yeah, I I thought it was a little bit of a progress progress the plot episode, but it started off that way enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it had enough uh, fun stuff in it to 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 win you over easily. Um, (laughs) Yeah. We, for one thing, we found out that Emmett is the parking lot king of Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we finally f- found out what his um, his claim to wealth is, right? Yeah, and, so uh, funny. I was like, oh my god, the parking lot king of Minnesota. That's a typical Coen Brothers character, <laughs> if there ever was one. <laughs> yeah, to be sure. Um, but, uh, wow, they made a huge Emmett made a huge mistake going to his attorney to get his attorney to uh, do a little <laughs> research on uh, yeah Mr. V M Varga yeah yeah the the, uh, the attorney that doesn't even know how to use Google oh my god <laughs> he did it was yeah that was bad it's hilarious he, yeah what he, what he, go- he he googles V M Varga and gives a one link. <laughs> he opens up the web page, instantly just clicks on whatever he can click on, and yeah, kills his his and his secretary's computer. I'm like, oh shit! Right? They Takes just a picture of him. Yeah. Oh, exactly. That's right. Yeah. So we know he's in deep shit at that point, and yeah. we we yeah. were correct. <laughs> Yes, indeed. He's in even deeper shit. <laughs> He's yeah. in a deep hole by the end of the episode. Yeah. Poor, yeah. poor Irv met a very, very unhappy end. <laughs> Irv, the, so, the computer illiterate attorney. <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, speaking of unhappy ends, there was an unhappy ending for Ray's Corvette. Oh, my God. Oh, I was, I was, yeah. I was like, oh, please don't smash up that Corvette. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he's, he's got a bent frame there, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You can't hammer that out. No way. No. Uh-uh. Um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. But, yeah, it uh, was. And so fun. And the guy hits other people's cars, leaving. <laughs> Shit. Right. Just, yeah. uh, it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious. Just made me crack up. It was, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, not to get off on a slope here, but when I was uh, watching the episode at the beginning, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it's cold, and there's, you know, it's kind of cool because they always put the title card that says Fargo over some kind of landscape shot that shows snow, mm-hmm. and uh, or at least they have on the first two episodes. Right. And I was thinking about, you know, uh, mm. When there's this, there's this. Have you ever heard of a book called Wisconsin Death Trip? No, I have not. Oh, so not to go down a long slope here, but okay. There's a there, there's a book called Wisconsin Death Trip, mm-hmm. and you know there's this idea that people who are in the cold, especially in the old days when you couldn't really go out and get around and do anything, yeah. And there would be these people who were basically in a little cabin for, especially when you're up north in Minnesota and places like that, mm. where it's cold six months out of the year, where they would be in a little cabin and get cabin fever, yeah. And um you know, go crazy. So there's a book called Wisconsin Death Trip, and all it is is clippings from old newspapers from 
the 1800s through like the 1910s and 20s, I believe, uh, of people who kill people uh, uh, in in Wisconsin and up and in places where it's cold. Um, And so it's all these newspaper articles of stories of people who kind of killed someone under weird circumstances or something unusual, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, and it's a really interesting book. It, um, it's really cool. Wow. Um, and then they've done a, they did a movie about it, but I, I've read online about the movie, but it's, it, it's not like a documentary. And I think it's just a fiction film. And somehow they stole this guy's may, I don't know if he had anything, the guy who wrote the book, I don't know if he had anything to do with the, the movie or not, but Hmm. I think it may just be one story from uh, from the book or or something that they've written fictionalized from the book. Right. But anyway, uh, and the movie's hard to find. Even it's another one of those ones that on Amazon. Um, I, I don't even know if you can get it on DVD, but it's expensive if you want to buy it because there's it's out oh, of print. One of those rare um, ones. Okay. Oh, sorry. The book is called Wisconsin Death Trip. All right. Cool. Um, and so is the movie. Um. Mm-hmm. When I was watching Fargo at the beginning and it's cold and all that, I was like, you know, this is kind of like that thing in Wisconsin Death Trip where it's cold and people just go crazy <laughs> from the cold. You know, they yeah. lose all all of their senses. Hmm. And so um, it's it was just like an interesting little thought I had while watching the, the second okay. episode. Yeah, I, I can understand that. So tell then me. Ray's girlfriend took her tampon out, oh. and I was <laughs> uh, <laughs> brought brought right back into the story. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's that's a note that I wrote down here. I said, Nikki Swango, the tampon burglar. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that she ran was... into the parking lot king. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So crazy. So what's the deal with the um, the policewoman? What's her name? Uh, Gloria oh. Gloria Burgle. Oh, that's weird. Her name is, that is her Burgle. Name? Gloria Burgle. Yeah, played by Carrie Coon. Hmm. So apparently she um, she has problems with technology uh, over and over oh, yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wrote a note down here. She, she's a situational luddite. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you know what a luddite is. Uh, and yes. she's situational because, I mean, it, it's not because she dislikes technology. It seems like technology dislikes her. She can't get a right? damn automatic door to open. Uh, yes. There's something about That's her and computers. None of the computers that they had, uh, their computers were in their uh, storage room unopened. And uh, right? the, the new sheriff has... Uh, had taken her to task about the whole situation because she's still using a telex <laughs> instead of modern technology telex. Wow, that's even that even predates uh, fax machines. That's pretty old, right? old yeah. shit. So um, that is old school. Yeah, yeah, to be sure. Yeah, so. yeah. I did. You know, I didn't put the um, the automatic door openers technology and the computer technology together in my mind. I didn't think about those as as connected things. Um, I just thought it was that she was supposed to be so tiny and weigh you know weigh so little and be so slight that doors just didn't know she was there well um, yeah that's I mean, interesting i don't know we'll have because to see i think it's related you're right yeah, yeah we'll probably have to see further episodes but the interesting thing about it though think of it this way okay because the police station has no computers they're immune 
to the uh, hacking of uh, VM Varga's uh, uh, IT guys, right? That, that yeah. might that might play into the story, or right. or it may or turn if- out the new sheriff sets up all these computers, and then VM Varga's right. guys come and completely wipe out all of their records. And so it turns out that the the policewoman had the right idea all along. Right, exactly. I, I don't yeah. Know. We'll That's see. interesting. That's interesting. We'll see how and that I plays too, out, now, right? I want to go back and watch the first episode at the beginning because uh-huh. you know, that was the one at the beginning where it was set in Eastern uh East Berlin yes. in the 80s. And right. it's like is David Sulis's character VM Varga is he is that is that related to his story or is that something completely different? Well, because I can't remember what name they were using. The you know the the official is telling this guy, "No, you live at this address. Your name is this," mm-hmm. and he's like, "No, that's not me." Um, but I can't remember if the name was Varga or some other name. Um, oh yeah, might be a an interest a good reason to yeah rewatch uh, the first part of uh, episode, first episode one yeah. And then what's this shit with the dead stepdad and the science fiction books? I don't know. I mean, it's like uh, the, the his um, stepdaughter, the, the policewoman, seems to think that, yeah, Anastasi is Thaddeus Mobley, the sci-fi writer. Maybe. Right. So. Which is what I which is, of course, what I thought immediately when she takes those books out and um, mm-hmm. looks at them. You're just like this guy. Why would he hide these unless he wrote them and he doesn't want anyone to know anything about them? He's hiding them. Right. Uh, so no one will see them, but he wants to keep them. Um, yeah. And I also it looked like when she was thumbing through the first I think it was the first book she picked up and thumbed through. Uh-huh. It looked like one of the pages was upside down in that book. Oh really? But whoa, okay. yeah. Well, you saw I a detail I didn't and, see. Yeah, hmm. yeah. I watched it twice, and I saw that twice, and I'm like, hmm. Why is that? Is that page upside down? Why is it upside down? And she doesn't seem to notice either. So um, I was like, huh. I wonder if that's going to mean something. It may mean nothing. <laughs> oh well, yeah. With this show, you just never know. Tune in next week. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it'll probably so, be much later on that we find out if that has anything to do with anything. But, right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Probably ten episodes before we really get there. Mm-hmm. But then I was also thinking in in the second episode in the second season there was a bunch of stuff with aliens as well. So. Yeah. I don't know if, if that's going to be connected or if it's just random or you know or if it's a red herring. I, yeah, I don't know. It's either a red herring or an Easter egg. Who knows? Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> an Easter egg tastes better. But, it always does. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Peep, so, unless it's a peep. Right, yeah. You don't like peeps? I, I don't like peeps. Oh, okay. I do not like peeps. All right. I love candy and sweet stuff. I never want to peep. <laughs> keep your peep to yourself. It's a sugar-coated marshmallow. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. You can sugarcoat it all you want. It still tastes horrible. Yeah. I think it's actually too sweet for me. That's why I hate mm. peeps. And if something's too sweet for me, it must be fucking sweet because I love uh, sweet stuff. Okay. Well, the, <laughs> one thing about peeps, they're really fun to put in the microwave. What do they do in the microwave? Oh, do they blow up? Yeah. They, uh, first, they inflate and then they pop. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I mean, well, it's wor- maybe I'll have to get a peep. <laughs> yeah, it's worth worth uh, buying a package of peeps just for that entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can. Um, somebody should make a YouTube video about that. Somebody oh, probably has. So. I bet you there are hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but I now I want to see it. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, m- m- we slip we slid down a slippery slope to peeps. I don't know how. Um, I don't know how either. My goodness. <laughs> um. Riverdale, um, before we watched the episode a couple nights ago, I guess it was last night, right. um, I had read in the news they've hired the actor who's going to play Veronica's dad, oh. and it's a guy It's a guy named Mark Consuelos. He's actually uh, married to Kelly Ripa. Okay. Who, you know, you know Kelly and, it used to be Kelly and Regis, Regis and then Kelly and Michael, and now it's, now it's sure. just Kelly. Um, really? Um, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he. It's real. It's I. I like Kelly Ripa. I can't help it. She started on All My Children as playing a character named Haley back in the day when I watched All My Children. Mm. And um, mm-hmm. and Mark Mark Consuelos was on the show playing a character. And their two characters met in on the show on in the show. And then of course as actor and actress they met playing those characters. And they fell in love, and so they wrote their love story into the show, and then they got married, and then they got married on the show, and wow. Um, so, and he's a he's a really good actor. He's he's a Hispanic guy, um, mm-hmm. and 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 a nice looking guy too. Um, but say, um, I thought that was interesting that he he's playing. He's on some other show right now too, uh, but I can't remember what show he's on. Yeah. Um, um, so they hired him to play Veronica's dad, um, Hiram. Yes. And then, um, the guy who plays Reggie Mantle, who I believe is a, is a Asian American guy. Yes. Um, I, I don't know what that actor's name is, but he supposedly he has scheduling conflicts and won't be able to play Reggie next season. And Reggie's going to have a big part next season. So they're going to recast the part of Reggie, but they haven't said who they're going to have play Reggie yet. So Hmm. did he get another gig somewhere? Yeah, he's on. I think he's, I think they said he was going to be on some other show and that other show is going to take up a lot of his time. And so uh, it was going to cause conflicts. And so they're going to hire someone else, but well, I mean the role you know, of the role of Reggie on Riverdale is, isn't exactly a choice role uh, as as far as right. we've seen in in the episodes we've seen he's only been in like, you know, as kind of a side character in maybe, you know, two or three episodes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, hey, he's moving on to bigger and better things, so they're going to get some other they've got some other guy, huh? Where they're going to get someone, I haven't said who it's going to mm. be yet, so Okay. I won't know if they'll go for a well-known name or not. Um okay. Well, I was about to say, what did you think of the latest episode of Riverdale? Thought it was kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't that, I was just like, yeah, you know, it's okay. I mean, Molly Ringwald was on it and she had several scenes and so it was nice to see her. Yeah. And, um, um, you know, Jughead and his dad mm-hmm. uh, had, a, had a nice moment and that was okay. Yeah, they did. And I liked w- when, uh, when Archie and Veronica sang, uh, uh, Kim Wilde's Kids in America. That was a high point, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That was They're, kind of fun. Yeah, at the homecoming um, and reunion dance that Betty so somehow organized. That Betty somehow organized without doing any work whatsoever. <laughs> in in <laughs> less than a day, yeah, in an yeah. afternoon. Um, yeah. Yes, yeah, that was amazing. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and so I thought it was interesting, too, of course, the big reveal at the end that they arrest FP because they find a gun in his house. Yeah. And they arrest him for killing Jason Blossom. Right. But then Archie and Veronica were just there looking through his house for clues. And they didn't and find any gun. Yeah. There was no gun there when they were there. So I'm like, that's an interesting, you know, because now they're going to have to admit that they were in there looking around. Well, that's true. Um, I've got a note about um, that. Oh? Yeah. It says, Veronica and Archie still in an orgasmic haze break into FP's trailer and find nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, according to Archie, they just slept in the same room or something. Uh Did you? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, okay. Well. Yeah. So the writers backed off of the uh, of them actually doing right. something, huh? Okay. Right. Yeah, that's because if they're if they're teenagers and have sex, then they must die. Um, so. <laughs> yes, <laughs> according to '80s slasher films, that's true. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so you hear that Jughead? No sleeping with uh, 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 Betty. Yeah. Kevin Keller is okay. You and Archie can. Did you see the scene where he, Archie's in bed with no shirt on and and Jughead's laying on a, a sleeping bag? Yeah. Beside his bed. Of course. Yeah. I like that. Was my favorite scene in the. <laughs> you know, I can't imagine why you like that so much. I yeah, I don't know what it was, but hmm. I got all funny feeling inside uh, when that scene was on. Did you and get it all reminded me of, you... of when I was a boy and would sleep over and uh, <laughs> Did you get all tickly in your nether regions? <laughs> <laughs> I got all tingly. I got all tingly in my sack. <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> uh, okay uh, all right i can so, edit that out if you want me to <laughs> sure no don't edit anything I, out i'm kidding uh, of course. Uh, uh, so yeah well, the only other uh, uh-huh. the only other sh- i mean did you have more to say about riverdale uh, like i said i thought it no. was a, a, a they're starting to skate on thin ice with me with Riverdale. It's it it, it needs to get a lot better yeah. for for me to really want to stick with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is definitely I'm watching it for Jughead for Cole Sprouse now just to because he's he's nice to look at. I'm Archie's nice to look at too, but um it's 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 like the story seems more and more procedural all the time mm-hmm. yeah. and and not not quirky and weird enough yeah, for me. Uh, it's dragging a little bit, but you know, maybe when yeah. uh, 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 Hieronymus Bosch, I mean, um, Albert <laughs> Finney, um, <laughs> Veronica's dad shows back up, maybe some Hiram. new life. Will, yes, Hiram Lodge appears. Maybe something will. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I, to me, if the show that what makes the show great is, and, and Jughead even started talking a little bit about the dark underbelly of the, of the, or was it Archie? One of them was talking a little bit about the darkness, the dark underbelly of Riverdale. Yeah. And, and to me, that's that. That should be the whole. That's the whole. Mm-hmm. That's the. That's the show in a nutshell, right there. It should be about the teenagers who've grown up in this kind of idealized teenage small town America. Right on the surface, starting to on the surface, starting to see the darkness in their in their town, in their parents, in the system, yeah. and you know that's that's what's interesting about the story. Yeah. Um, 
You need to so, st- stay away from trying to be a soap opera and get get weird. Yeah, be, yeah. be Twin Peaks. Don't don't mm. be um, a Gossip Girl or whatever. I don't know. I don't <laughs> okay, yes. say that. I don't know anything about Gossip Girl. Uh, but, me either. You know, don't don't be um, charmed or whatever. <laughs> yes. Um, exactly. Hey, the only other show I wanted to talk about. I watched a show. Uh, it's actually on National Geographic Channel, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's called Genius. It's about all Albert Einstein. Um, I saw something about it, that. Yeah, I'm interested in seeing that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's um it's it's produced by Brian Grazer, who is the guy that produces all of the Ron Howard's movies. Um, and so actually, hmm. the first episode of this uh, show was. Um, uh, directed by Ron Howard, um, and it stars Jeffrey Rush as Einstein. Yes, um, it's really interesting because I wasn't sure what it was going to be because mm-hmm. uh, you know, being on National Geographic at a certain point, I thought it would, might be more of a documentary than a biopic, but it's definitely a bi you know a bi it's a biography of yeah. of Einstein. And um it's really cool because it skips around in time. So they have another actor playing Einstein as a uh, a man of about eighteen or nineteen, a young man. Hmm. And then of course um uh Jeffrey, Jeffrey Rush, Rush plays him plays him as an older man yeah. and and then as of course as a really old man. So there are some scenes set there are some the story is set sometimes near World War One, and then of course near World War Two, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, they show Einstein as a teacher. They sh- they show him as a student, um, and it skips around in those times, and you can kind of see the correlation between things that are happening in both those times. But it's also just really interesting as a as a bio, bio biographical story of Einstein's life. Sure, um, but it's. It's neat that it's not a chronological. It doesn't say, okay, Einstein was born here, and then when he was a kid, this happened, and then he became a teenager, and this happened. It yeah. skips around in time, which may, which is really interesting, because you know Einstein was all about perception and time. Well, <laughs> so it's it's true. only natural that it should be that way. Sure. Um, you know, I I don't think there's ever been a biopic done about the life of Einstein that I recall, well, at least in recent memory. So Right. I was thinking that, too, when uh, I was watching it. I was like, he's a really interesting person because it's a show, you know, not only is it a sto- the story of his life, but it's a show about, like, ideas and, mm-hmm. and intelligence and individualism. And it's yes. got all these interesting plot points and themes uh, that go on in the in the show from different perspectives of his life, uh, depending on the time of his life that he's in. Um, so yeah, it's really cool, and it's a really uh, it's more than just a biographical picture or bi- biographical series. Yeah, it's a it's it's about intelligence and and uh, indivi- individualism is a really strong theme in it. You know, Einstein was very uh, outspoken and and. Um, a real, in, you know, a real individual, someone who didn't hmm. graduate from school and uh, kind of took his own path and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I was just saying, I mean, I think he did some of his, his first work when he was working at uh, a patent office or something. So it's it's weird. Right, which, yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. They haven't really got to that yet because I, that must be in between the two time frames we are right now. Hmm. Um, OK, but. 
it's really cool because like his he you know he, he has a dad and a mom and a sister and his father's very hard nosed and wants him to go to school and mm-hmm. and you know wants him to do things uh, the way the father thinks they should be done and Einstein is at a point where he's eighteen or nineteen and he you know he's gonna do what he wants to do and yeah. you know it re- pretty much tells the father i know you're not going to support me i'm on my own i need to do my own thing but hmm. i want to do my own thing and and so th- uh, that's you you said if i want to do my own thing i've got to do it on my own and so that's what i'm going to do um you know they're not hateful to each other but they're they're just at they just butt heads because the father wants him to be an accountant i think or something oh and, i see um, hmm and then um, so then Einstein goes to the school and uh, applies and he can't pass the test because he's only good in physics. He's not good in any other subject. And so the guy running the school sends him to live with his family that the father is a teacher and they're a real kind of bohemian. It's like they have, you know, it's like a mother and father and like six kids. And they're they're kind of at, at the dinner table. They all speak their mind and talk about things. And Einstein's kind of oh. taken aback by that and um and uh, him and the older daughter uh, start having a little bit of a romance and hmm. um so it's interesting because you know it shows it shows him kind of opening up to a world where uh, uh uh, people aren't like his dad that are hard-nosed and don't want to hear his ideas uh hmm. his family you know is 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 loves to hear ideas and talk about things so well that sounds fascinating uh, it's a um, it's a really cool show. So how many how much of it have you seen? There's only been one episode so far. Wow. And I think okay. it was it was about it was only about an hour and fifteen minutes. Um hmm. so I think it's gonna be on every Wednesday night on National Geographic. Um I hardly ever watch that channel. So I'm assuming they will rerun it at other times, but right. uh, or that you can see it online. Or, or on on demand or something, but um, yeah. yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, I saw something about it. I don't know if it was on Facebook or on YouTube, maybe a, a trailer for it or something. I was like, wow, I really want to see that. And so, okay, National Geographic, I'm gonna have to program it into the DVR. Yeah, I think um, I saw an ad for it on some other channel. Um, hmm. uh, maybe A and E during Bates Motel, or maybe. Um, uh, feud on FX or something. Could Some be. other channel had a had an ad for it, and so then I made a note of the fact that it was going to be on. Um, it's on Tuesday nights. I'm sorry, it's on Tuesday night. Okay. Because uh, uh, Wednesday night is Fargo. Um, but I made yes. a note of the fact that it was going to be on and made sure I caught the first episode, and it was really good. There's. Uh, I just wanted to mention there was a great quote that I've never heard this quote, but I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I don't even remember who says it in the in the um, in the series in Genius. But it's a Frederick Nietzsche quote, and it, it's the surest way to corrupt a youth is to instruct him to hold in higher esteem those who think alike rather than those who think differently. Wow. I'm like, that is, that's a great quote. Damn. The surest way to corrupt a youth hmm. is to instruct him to hold in higher esteem those who think alike than those who think differently. Um, Whoa. Uh, that's just, yeah. a, I love that quote. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was the other thing I was thinking too, is when you're watching the world war two stuff, you know, where, where Einstein is in uh, Berlin and, mm-hmm. and, and the Nazis are coming to power and yeah. you watch that shit w- with the absurdist nationalism and the, you know, the downright evil of the, the you know, Nazis and, and um, how they treated the, how they treat the Jews. And, and it's like, um, 
Uh, yeah, that doesn't ring a bell with anything that's going on in our lives right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know? Well, so very timely then some of the themes. I in, think so. Yeah. In the show genius. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's you know sometimes there are shows like that where you're like, man, I hope younger people watch this because because not only is it somewhat educational, but you know it's a it's a show that really promotes individualism and ideas and and. Um, that's really needed right about now. Oh, I, I would agree. I mean, I think we're, we're living in an age right now where truth and science and intellectuals are under attack by, you know, our very government at this point. And right, it's, yeah. Uh, and that's... You know, and we're losing that reverence for, uh, you know, trusting our, our, our thinkers in the world. Right now, you know, it's almost like... Uh, a reversal of that where, you know, the, the most backward thinking among us are, are coming into positions of power and, and taking us backwards in time instead of toward a, a, a brighter future. So right. it's, it's kind of it's, disturbing. Yeah, so. it's interesting because the correlation is like not only do they have some scenes where Einstein's walking down the street and, and some Nazis are, are uh, beating up a, a Jewish man and, and he he uh, gets caught up in it and, and – mm. um, is like why is nobody doing anything about this? And but then there's a thing where one of his the sh one of his colleagues is killed, and he, there's all this talk at the school where he's teaching about national pride, and it's all underlined with this. You know, Einstein is trying. They try to discredit him because they don't understand the way he looks at science, um, and it's all these theories and and no solid evidence and one of the other teachers is really talking about how we we can't allow this to happen but the real underlying thought is we can't allow this to happen and we can't listen to the ideas of Jews even though he doesn't say that outright it's basically what he's saying you know wow we need a strong germany where we respect our scientists and we go by solid fact and we don't, you know, uh, we don't listen to theories and and make made up theories by people who don't know what they're talking about. You know, oh, really, shit. when you wow. watch the when you watch it, it's it's very very relevant to today today's mm -hmm. world. Absolutely. Yeah, sounds like it. Damn. Uh, on that same subject, I recently bought a book off of Amazon. I think I. I had heard something about it on Sam Harris's uh, podcast, and it's a book called On Tyranny, 20 Lessons from the 20th Century. And it's, you know, it's a really short book, but it's, uh, you know, every chapter is something that you can do on a personal level to, uh, to avoid making the same mistakes that people did in the past. Like some of the different chapters are, uh, it's like each chapter is, you know, one of the 20 lessons from the 20th century. You know, chapter one is do not obey in advance. Chapter two, defend institutions. Three, beware the one-party state. Four, take responsibility for the face of the world. Chapter five, remember professional ethics. Um, number six, be wary of paramilitaries, etc., etc. You know, there's 20 different ones. And hmm. it's, it's, what, it's called On Tyranny? On Tyranny, 20 Lessons from the 20th Century. And, it's, and who's uh, the author? The author is Timothy Schneider. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a long book. It's like a large pamphlet almost. It's like a small <laughs> book that you can fit in your pocket. Kind of ties into what we were just talking about. Yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. hmm. Did you just did you just randomly come across that on Amazon? 
Uh, no, like I said, I had heard about it on uh, oh, Sam right. Harris's podcast, and I said, if he thinks it's interesting, well, maybe I'll think it's interesting. So, you know, it was really cheap. It was like six bucks on Amazon. You know, it's a paperback and, you know, maybe 100 pages or so. And uh, hmm. But a good read, a good uh, lesson. Um, yeah. Maybe trying to avoid... Interesting. Yeah, trying to avoid some of the pitfalls that people have fallen into in the past you know, on that road to authoritarianism. You said pitfalls that people have fallen into, and that just struck me as a little amusing. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> I guess, because what else can you do in, into a pitfall but fall into it? Yeah. <laughs> Should I say pits that people fall into? <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, it reminded me of when I was in uh, um, seventh grade, so I'm young, you know, I'm like 12, 13 years old. This girl was was talking in front of the class, giving a speech or telling – I can't remember what she was doing, mm. but she said – and there and there were these innocent bystanders who were in, innocently standing by, and we <laughs> all laughed for five minutes about that. It was just so mm. funny because it was so, you know, she so, didn't – it was, was not pre-thought, you know. Yeah, it was, it was completely <laughs> circular. So, yes, anyway. just extemporaneously. Yes. So anyway, I'm sorry. No problem. I was reminded of that. <laughs> Great. All right, dude. Well, shall we uh, do yeah. a uh, – hey, I, did you notice uh, that uh, I posted on Facebook that I actually went online and bought a deck of Grotesque Tables 2? Oh, yeah, I did see that. So I was like, all right, cool. I, I can't wait to, well, I, uh, to see some of those. Yeah, I was um, – I just thought, well, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I kicked myself that I didn't buy Eno's oblique strategies when I was younger and had a chance. Yeah. When you could buy them when they first came out, and I was like, well, sure. I might as well get these, and and you never know, they may become a collector's item one day. I, I, I would think that they might. Why wouldn't they? Yeah. So cool. I mean, it was only twenty dollars for the for the deck. Cool. So it wasn't expensive, and I was thinking maybe I will read one tonight after you read the Oblique Strategy. Well, maybe I was thinking that we would ask the Oblique Strategy, should we switch over to only reading the uh, Grotesque <laughs> grotesque Tables 2? Uh, well, we can, we can do that if you want. I thought it would be fun to read both. No, no, that's fine. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, do we have a question? I didn't, and I didn't... Do we have a I question? didn't buy the deck of cards thinking that we that I would read them on the show. I just really wanted to have a deck yeah. after you talked about them on the last episode or two episodes ago. So it wasn't a conscious thing. But then after I got them, I was like, huh, I, I'll wait to open these. So I just opened them. I haven't looked at them cool. yet. Cool. Well, yeah. Uh, I was like, I'll wait to open these until we're on the doing the show. Yeah. Why wouldn't we? I think that's a great idea. All right. So should we ask the Oblique Strategy a question? Oblique Strategy. Do you have one in mind? Sure. How can I find my lost cat, Teeny? (laughs) (laughs) How does that sound? All right. Well, let's see. That sounds fine. All right. Here we go. What context would look right? Question mark. What? (laughs) (laughs) You got too specific. Yeah, I guess so. All right. Well, so let's see what I I blew that one. Let's see what. uh, Let's see what Grotesque Tables 2 by Noah Wall says to your question. What was your question? How, how can will I find? How, how will I be I? able to find uh, my lost cat? And the Grotesque Tables 2 says, dehydrate on tin or in a hornet's hour. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Wow. 
Dehydrate on 10 or on a hornet's hour? Or in a hornet's in, hour. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That is, I don't know what that means. That is but, uh, as obtuse as maybe if, you could get. Maybe if you put some dehydrated meat out on a piece of tin in the front yard, she'll come eat that. Oh, she'll come back to, there you to go. get the food. Sure. Yeah, it could, it could happen. Okay. And what, <laughs> Lodger, in what context would that look right? <laughs> well, in the context where your neighbors don't see what you're doing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Ooh, I guess I need to go pick up Sierra. Uh, so. Well, of course, I, I I didn't think we had much to talk about, and this would be a short show. And of course, we did three hours. So yeah, we did. Of course, we do? we did a thirty minute pre show, so that's the way that goes. So we did, and we we slid down some slippery slopes for sure. But it was fun, and and I enjoyed it. Uh, very organic, a very organic three hours of discussion. Yeah, I think it, <laughs> I, th- I think it was nice. Yeah. So oh, I know I I need to stretch and get up out of the chair too. So yeah. So since we're we've come to the end of the show, I probably ought to uh, tell our listeners. Slide in next week for another fabulous episode of A Slippery Slope. Doggone it, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and people like me. <laughs> <laughs>